Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> should we should we have another go at it? Yeah, let me try again. <laughs> All right. Um, Let's try go... that one more time. <laughs> I am sorry. A podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I am your masked writer of justice, Renu. And I'm your cyborg monster of the week that inevitably gets dissolved by my own hubristic power. Soup. <laughs> Into soup. <laughs> Into soup. <laughs> this week, we have a special episode for you because that stands for action figure Takashi. Because we'll be talking about none other than the legendary 1971 television serial Common Rider. And to help us talk about Common Rider, we've brought on the hosts of acclaimed Common Rider podcast, Righteous Kicks, Brandon O'Brien and Iori Kasano. Welcome in! Feel free to introduce yourselves if you would like. (laughs) Hi everybody, it's Brandon again, long time first time, here to annoy you with all of my feelings. No, (laughs) no, it's always a pleasure. Yori Kusano, Clarion West Class of 2017, they, them pronouns, professional shit poster. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Happy time zone. Happy time, Happy time zone. zone. Yes. Okay. So that is, that's like the first thing, right? Is that this was like the biggest nightmare to schedule ever. <laughs> Good Lord. Everybody in this call is in a different time zone, I think. It is. Yes, e- Everyone is in a different time zone, and some of our time zones practice daylight saving, and some of them don't. Which we hate. <laughs> time zones are a curse. Kill it. I'm sorry. I, I agree. I agree. I think if hemispheres can have different seasons, um, we can just sort of agree to use the same standard of time, and then we can all just mm-hmm. define what that means later. It's like, okay, uh, 4 p.m., yeah, that's when the sun is down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, like, this close to, like, telling people that the only time, the only ways that it can make arrangements for appointments and stuff with me is to tell me how many hours from the moment that we're speaking that it's going yes. to happen. Yes, yeah. That mm-hmm. actually is a lot more efficient. <laughs> Straight I would up. much it's prefer just, that. It's easy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's much easier. So uh, we watched six, 17? 17 episodes. I don't know why I said 16. Um, we watched 17 episodes of Common Writer, um, mm. which, if you don't know, is uh, one of the biggest and most prestigious tokusatsu shows of all time. Tokusatsu is like the genre of um, Japanese like television uh, media that is uh, about... Uh, lots of supernatural happenings and people fighting each other and lots of exploding. Um, there's lots of practical effects. They're very cool. Um, we've since then moved on to, into lots of digital effects, of course. But there's still a lot. Actually, if you watch like some of the more recent common writers, I've noticed, um, at least from the clips I've seen, it's like lots of practical props still. Yeah. Mm. Very, lots very good practical yeah. props still. They, they, they've improved in, in, in that regard uh, quite some bit. 
But yes, um, so if you're not familiar with uh, with Kamen Rider, um, it is a series created by Shotaro Ishinomori, um, started airing in 1971, and it chronicles the story of college student Takeshi Hongo, portrayed uh, by Hiroshi Fujioka. Um, and old Takeshi here is kidnapped by a secret organization bent on world domination known as Shocker and was transformed into a cyborg. But then... The defecting shocker scientist Hiroshi Midorikawa intervenes and saves Takeshi before he gets brainwashed, which means he still has his free will. And then he uses those newfound powers to do battle against Shocker's army of cyborgs and protect the peace of Japan. Professor Midorikawa dies and melts into a puddle. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> this does happen. Lots of puddles. A lot of people in this do show. that. A lot of people just straight up like dissolve. Like that—that's kind of one of the first things that we noticed about the about yes. the show is that the mm-hmm. practical effects are—they're um, very like they're very nineteen seventies, um, <laughs> like aggressively so. Uh, I mean, because it's very what- very easy to just record a lot of soap bubbles popping and then play it back in reverse. Right, and that's just like somebody like melting into the earth. Mm-hmm. Or the other one that they seem to like in the early episodes, like pumping red liquid out of a pile of dirt and then playing that uh-huh. in reverse. <laughs> That's I, I will say that was one of my favorite things. Uh, watching um, the course of like the seventeen episodes that we did, which is just mm-hmm. the evolution of of the effects. Where you know, first we have all of like we just have some weird lights over. Uh, backwards footage of soap bubbles coming out of a hole. Yes, yes, you're right, yes. And then, like, <laughs> uh, a couple episodes later, we have a new one where, like, people get turned into skeletons. Um, we got one mm-hmm. where... Uh, uh, what, what what was it? Um, there was one where... Um, what am I thinking of? I was thinking of the one a couple episodes ago that we watched where they used the destructo beam and the rabbit turned into like a film oh, yeah, yeah. A film of cotton <laughs> <laughs> turned into a flat sheet of paper with a skeleton drawn yeah. on it <laughs> i will say my favorite one absolutely by far was um was uh, finally getting to see uh an explosion i oh, just getting yes. to watch a man explode that was that was mm. mm-hmm. that's that's what i wanted yeah that's what we came for <laughs> to see someone get kicked so hard that they burst into flame. No, no. Sure. It's even worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um god, where do we where do we even start? Like do you do you guys just want to like tell us about Common Writer? Because we're not the experts here. <laughs> yes, you guys have watched far more than 17 episodes, clearly. <laughs> So one of the things about it is, living in Japan, you cannot help but be exposed to Kamen Rider. <laughs> there is no way sure. to avoid it. Like, right, right. In the before times, the bar that I drink at a lot will just throw some Kamen Rider up on the TV in the corner Ooh. if no one's singing karaoke. So I mean, that's just. I have this kind of patchwork knowledge of Kamen Rider where I've seen a couple episodes of everything, but I'm not sure which episodes those are or where they fall in the timeline. <laughs> and especially uh-huh. with the later Heisei Riders, I cannot keep them all straight in my head. So I will uh-huh. only realize three years after the fact when I am exposed to Deno properly. 
Oh, so that one's from Deno. Okay. I saw three episodes in the middle of that run and nothing mm-hmm. else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really I really wouldn't blame you because um I was I was like randomly sort of trolling around the wiki earlier. We learned that the common writer wiki is awful um and that um <laughs> it's okay. We should it's clarify. Not being it's updated. awful. It's awful for Showa era common writer. Uh, specifically the original Common Rider series because the plot synopses after the first five episodes just don't exist anymore, and that was kind of a giant pain in the ass. But um, I learned that Common Rider Stronger is the fifth installment of the Common Rider series that aired starting in April of 1975, which was only four years after the first one. So, like, we have almost, like, more than one Common Rider per year going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so the like, Showa series that's... tended to be longer, whereas once you get mm-hmm. into late Heisei, it's like, yes, new writer every year, which makes it honestly extremely difficult to keep up with. And hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely tend to judge the lasting popularity of a series by how much attention it gets at karaoke. So like, okay, everybody still Ooh. loves Double. Everybody still loves mm-hmm. Kamen Rider Black RX. About three people remember Fies. No one gives a shit about Kiva. <laughs> wow, they're doing Kiva dirty. I know exactly two people who aren't in this room right now who still care about Drive. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh lord, this actually hurts me a great deal. Because recently, NHK literally did a Kamen Rider poll. Um, and the number one show and number one, uh, like, primary writer are both Deno. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the rest of the list, is like, wow, Drive is the number 15 series? Cool. Drive is the number 30 actual writer? That hurts. Um, Jesus I do Christ. really ascribe some of Deno's popularity to the fact that the theme song has this fun little call and response section in it, which is just exhilarating to do in a crowded karaoke mm. bar. Oh, I bet, oh. yeah. <laughs> the um, the uh, the first opening, the the one that we we watched a lot of, um, fucking slaps. Yes, it is a, it is a it classic. Is. I do like yeah. it. Yes, I, I do really so, like, miss that intensely serious show of music yeah totally no no 100% like I, w- I was just gonna say like the um the vibe of the music is so like it's so good <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good era of music uh-huh mm-hmm. it's like it's easy like, to sing really along to very very serious like <laughs> yeah like very serious like it takes itself like very seriously um to the point where it's like almost comical, but you can't help but feel like you're being like pulled along into it. Just like go, go. <laughs> Doesn't it have a little bit of that Tobey Gundam feeling? It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> also, Back I just when needed theme to check songs the list were again. Actually, about the show that they were attached to. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Theme songs have um, kind of uh, it's it's certainly an art form that has uh, that has evolved, um, but I think there is something charming about just how like just just like how bizarrely literal uh, theme songs from that era are. It's just like yes, he's the common writer. Yeah, do a kick. Woo! 
Yeah. <laughs> Punch, kick. Punch, kick. It's not as good as the Tokusatsu Spider-Man theme song, but it is up there on the list. Oh my god, that's kind of. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things is that Spider Man is considered a Tokusatsu show, and it—I it, yeah. mean, it is. But like, yeah. um, <laughs> it is a man in it, spandex with practical effects. That's really the only criteria. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, very much so. Um, also produced by Toei, just to point out. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it's it's very funny because uh, the first episode of Common Rider uh, is about the eerie man spider. <laughs> A legally distinct yes. entity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally not the same thing that everyone is, everyone is thinking of. Man yes. spider. Let's get it right. Mm-hmm. Man spider. Man. Sp- well, that's like how um, the Mothman was originally going to be called the Batman, but they couldn't do that for reasons. Cool. Sorry, I just want to check. We are not talking about John Keel's Mothman, right? I think no, no. We're talking about the the uh, the cryptid, the Mothman. Um, yeah, John when... Keel's Mothman. Uh, John Keel wrote the Mothman prophecies. Oh, really? Okay, okay, okay. This is one of the many other things that Iori knows a great deal about. Wait, <laughs> yeah, this is a. Hmm. That's me. Good old old Kusanami knows too prophecies. much about Mothman Iori. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, in that case, you are you are completely correct. Yes, this Mothman. Oh my god. Hmm. Well, oh, oh, well okay. That Supposedly, makes sense. the the newspaper was originally going to report that as the Batman, mm-hmm. but you know. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. can can DC Comics sue the news? <laughs> I do not know. I'm sure they would try. I think Anyhow. they would have probably just made Woodrow Derenberger's life a hell of a lot worse if he said, I saw Batman. Yes, no, you're, you're probably right. That man's life was already ruined. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, the Eerie Man Spider is the first episode of Common Rider, and mm. um, that is where we get the, the Common Rider um, origin, origin story. Which, um, I didn't know this before watching this, but the, the lore is that, is that co- the common writer is a cyborg. Yeah. He is a, I, yeah, a, I, I also yep. did not know that, uh, you know. He's a, a cyborg man, <laughs> a cyborg yeah. man created by an evil organization that is, mm-hmm. um, legally distinct from the Nazis. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, is it, some however, <laughs> is it legally distinct? We will get to that at a later point. Well, yes, I'm sure, yes. yeah, it we will, will come up we again. <laughs> God, you said that, and I saw it like uh, uh, a Marvel uh, movie uh, yes. end credits. If the Nazis will return, and I hated having to think that. Oh, no. <laughs> That's awful. I mean,. Shocker is legally distinct from the Nazis in the same way that Hydra is. So I think this is a very yes, valid correct. point of comparison. Fair mm-hmm. enough, yes. Also worth noting, because this is a thing that I am um, like purely enamored of in um, the origin story of 
uh, Takeshi becoming Kamen Rider is that Takeshi Hongo is doing quite a lot for a college student. God, yeah. mm-hmm. he's yes. so overcommitted. He's I... a college science student. Like, yes. physics, I think they established, I can't recall. It was something that involved a shitload of lab work. Oh, yes. yes. Well, an, that's an that's unnecessary amount of lab work. You are allowed to swear as much as you want. <laughs> he's, doing an unnecess- he's doing an unnecessary amount of lab work that he is simultaneously present for when it's absolutely necessary and never has to think about again when it isn't. But he's also in a racing club. Yeah, yes. he's also doing so, motocross. Yeah, like, th- this is my favorite thing about, like, um, Japanese characters in uh, school settings, specifically college, because, like, it feels like um, the general landscape of high school media in Japan is, like, look at these superhuman high schoolers that can do, like, anything. And then when you move into college, they're, like, they're inventing nuclear physics. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Like, um, like I, I don't know if, um, I don't know how much of uh, Trials and Tribulations uh, you watched us play, Brandon, but um, there's, like, a, there's like a lore detail where uh, one of the college students who goes to the college that Phoenix Wright attends just, like, <laughs> invents a giga poison, and he can just synthesize that in his lab. That's just a thing he does. In school? In school! That's, that's how he dies. He gets poisoned. Wait, no. Maybe? I don't remember, actually, the details of that case too, too thoroughly, but, like... <laughs> I want to say I can't just make a poison, but that also becomes a plot point in an episode of Kamen Rider. So... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was exactly what I was thinking of. Also that uh, also that science lab where they make the, the decomposition laser that, like, turns a rabbit uh-huh. into, like, film. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Just, just so happened upon this li- life-changing weapon of mass destruction I in the same way I... that that one guy made matches. It's like, no. That's I don't not how think this it's works. inherently unrealistic to invent new poisons all the time, but I do think it's very unrealistic how many of them apparently don't leave a trace or something. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's yes. always conditional yes. like that. Mm-hmm. I I will say though, um, my favorite detail about that about that episode, um, the one where they do the death laser, is um, the head <laughs> scientist is like, we cannot let this technology uh, surface. We we can't let the world know about it. And it's like, what were you building that you came upon a decomposition laser? Yeah, like yeah. surely you were doing some kind of weapons research, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like I mean, you don't you, accidentally stumble on that one. You're not. <laughs> ma- you, you weren't making a TV and suddenly discovered that LEDs under high pressure could cook a human. It's you had to be doing something particularly dastardly when you when you discovered right. this. Oops! All microwaves. Like at least some of the earlier episodes, like they kind of know they're not doing the right thing, but they're like, okay, like like in um like in the first episode, like um uh Midorikawa, Professor Midorikawa is like. Oh, actually, this sucks. I shouldn't be doing this, huh? I, we're <laughs> kind of the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, I respect Midorikawa solely because if it wasn't for his sacrifice, we wouldn't have a television show in the first place. Fine. Right. Cool. Of course. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But you were making cyborgs before this. Um, <laughs> the man spider existed before Takeshi got here. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so what was the difference between him and... Takeshi, did it did it matter to you at all? Was it a matter of willingness? 
Was he I, like? What did you think would happen, Midori? Call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. hmm. Well, well, well. If it isn't the consequences of my actions. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we meet again. <laughs> I really do want to know what was in the benefits package that got him to sign up for Shocker in the first place. Because, like, mm-hmm. we have health insurance in this country. I know you didn't need to go there because you needed cataract surgery or something. <laughs> I mean, can you get a health benefits package from an organization that kills people? Um, because I'm at sure some point, can. they're going to want to kill you, too. I mean, I think it's, it's probably <laughs> going to be, like, you're going to be one of the last people they kill. Mm. Right, like at at some point you're just kind of like there because that's um that's all you got, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know what? I know that they're gonna win, so. Uh... I mean, as we have, as we discover in a later episode, part of their health insurance literally involves resurrection. So I guess mm-hmm. there is seems probably, like a good package yeah, to me. A very mm-hmm. good deal. <laughs> what the deductible is on that? I'm I'm not sure. Oh, I'm not sure if it was here. available. Not the I'm not sure if it was available before, but anyway. Christ alive. <laughs> Good lord. I'm not sure that package was available for Mid- Midorikawa, though, but I'll, 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 I'll take it. I just want to imagine that like, while uh, Takeshi was on that operating table, he was looking down at Takeshi and going, Am I reaping right now or am I sowing? <laughs> I, have, I, <laughs> I have to imagine that at least some of the shocker scientists are like, either kidnapped or, like, blackmailed or just straight-up brainwashed. But, like, definitely there's some people there that are like, hmm, yep, I'm here because I want to do this. I want to make cyborg men. I think kind of an upsetting amount of the shocker scientists are there specifically because they're not in exile in Argentina. Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. (laughs) because like the other thing that you have to assume is there is a certain level of expertise that you cannot brainwash into your organization Mm -hmm. because they're never going to be able to to perform at optimum efficiency you can't Mm -hmm. brainwash you can't brainwash a scientist you can't brainwash a doctor because then you might have the you might accidentally wipe their ability to do doctor shit and then they're no longer useful I kind of love all of the, like, weird jumbled lore about the rest of the planet that, like, clearly the showrunners really don't give a shit about. Because it's just like, okay, so, like, Mexico basically doesn't exist anymore. That's just where Shocker lives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. (laughs) America is just completely on the way out. But, I mean, the FBI is attempting to do something, question mark. (laughs) I mean, we will. This will come up again when we get to the episode that reveals that the FBI and the CIA are involved. Um, but I was also kind of curious why they needed to be involved in the first place. Like, doesn't Japan have an intelligence service that would have been more interesting in this moment than the FBI? No, and because that's out- not foreign and glamorous. Right, right. I was gonna say I'm I'm sure that they do, but it's like not nearly as like uh overbearing as the sort of like American intelligence and military presence. I mean yeah. like that's that's like the thing, right? Is at the end of the day, like any media in, set in like um like Korea or Japan has to kind of grapple with like American military intervention in those spaces. Mm-hmm. 
And I wonder if it's similar to like how. Sorry, go ahead. I do think it sort of plays into post-occupation anxieties about continued American influence, and we're probably going to get extremely into this oh. later. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think Common Rider does really represent the soft power push to be like Nazis bad, America okay. Which at the time, a lot oh. of the adult population of Japan would not have necessarily believed because right, there's yeah. an uncomfortable ten an uncomfortable trend towards playing the victim about World War II in Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is a show meant to sell toys and also sell young children on Nazis bad. That's something that we in Japan fight against. We have always fought against the Nazis. Right. And a, yeah. little, a little revisionist history. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have a lot of feelings about Kamen Rider as revisionist uh-huh. history. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I wonder if that's also tied into like the whole um the episode where we saw a western wedding versus like a Japanese <laughs> yeah, wedding. You know what? That's probably true. <laughs> like the whole western friendly sentiment, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that and also it just in the uh, like post-occupation era, it became very fashionable to have a western wedding because oh, nothing about a religious wedding in Japan is legally binding anyway. I can't believe I'm having mm. this conversation for like the third time in one week, but <laughs> <laughs> synchronicities, man. But essentially, the only legally valid portion of the marriage is the paperwork that you do at City Hall. There are some right, couples right. who only do the paperwork, and it doesn't even involve a civil ceremony. You sign mm-hmm. something, you stamp something, you're done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... It is increasingly popular now to have the Western wedding just for an excuse to have a party. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of my friends have had both Shinto and Western weddings so that they get two parties and get photos in all the good costumes. Oh, yes. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah. essentially, I mean, like, a wedding is only a status symbol and it's for style points. Mm. It's a very different sort of context in... Um, Korea, because Korea is like very much um, at this point on board with the whole Christianity thing, you know, like um, the 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 digital uh, cross skyline that uh, that appears. Um, If you've never seen that, I would highly recommend looking that up. Um, up There are so many churches (laughs) in Korea that um, in in Seoul specifically that if you look at the the sort of cluster of them. you can see just like a, a wave of neon crosses in, on the skyline. That's terrifying. <gasps> Isn't I it? see it. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> horrific. Wow. You realize that this looks like a screenshot from Evangelion, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yes, yeah. you're right. So we're going to start Third Impact right now. <sighs> oh Lord. Uh, well, okay. I guess that's a thing. Yeah, that's a that's a thing that you know now. Um, but yeah, like the thing is that like uh, I I think it's really interesting that Common Rider fills this space where to oppose Nazism, you kind of have to align yourself with America, which is like a very contentious and strange space to be in, um, especially sort of you know looking at uh, the the current political <laughs> landscape. Well, even at the time, it's a weird place to kind of stake out territory. Because even in the 70s, I mean, 
NASA was half Nazis because after right, the exactly. war, so many um, of the Nazi scientists got scooped up in Operation Paperclip. So just extremely yikes. I understand why on a cultural level we decided to make America anti-Nazi, but mm -hmm. at no point was America ever actually anti-Nazi. Otherwise, yeah, we yeah, wouldn't yeah. have been, you know, hiring them for things. Um, yeah, America was was obviously never anti-Nazi. They just um, saw an opportunity and they... Shoo. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it is interesting, though, because um, it's... This is, like, exactly the kind of, like, really very turbulent um, political time in Japan where you have, like, a rising sort of, like, leftist movement that's contending with, like, um, both, uh, you know, uh, traditional power structures and also a new uh, conflict between capitalism and communism or, like, communist powers, I guess you could say. Um it is, it is, I think, very, like, honestly, I, I think you're right that it's, like, kind of a bold move to make to put your, put your weight behind uh, America in that space, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, also, um, we can talk about the FBI agent. Uh, Who peels his own face off and reveals himself <laughs> to be a cyborg. Who was extremely dubbed in. Right, um... <laughs> We can we can talk about the oh god uh the FBI agents um and the sort of FBI presence in the show um uh -huh. but sort of like around this time um or at least like in in the uh surrounding decades is like when America was doing like CIA ops to like uh reduce the power of like leftist uprisings in Japan and that's like kind of a large part of the reason that it it is so conservative of a country nowadays, mm -hmm. which is, um, boy, oh, uh, that's, it's something, it's something. Yeah. What yeah. else can we say but yikes? Yeah. <laughs> it's also, um, I, I find it interesting that, um, while I was reading up on, on Kamen Rider, um, at the same time that, like, Kamen Rider was, was being made, um, Ishinomori was, like, Basically making Kamen Rider the manga, but different, <laughs> where it was um, apparently much more gruesome and, uh, and dark. Mm -hmm. Too dark and gruesome for a show for all ages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the story goes that uh, Kamen Rider, like, as a structure, is based on at least two incomplete Ishinomori projects that he was very eager to put on television because he was doing a lot of television work at the time. Um, his relationship was to with Toei was very strong. They came to him and said, do you have anything else? And he was like, here is this, and gave them a comic full of people being like decapitated and having their limbs removed <laughs> and shit. Uh... Um, and they went, so we like the look of this guy, but we don't like everything else. Get rid of everything <laughs> else. Can and that's you make how this pleasant to read? Yeah, can you can you make this, but for children? <laughs> <laughs> and the and the answer was, I guess so. Yeah. And that's how we get a lack of blood, but a lot of acid. Um, yes, a lot of people <laughs> melting and just straight up being dead. 
I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that was better or worse. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, given that because we don't have... We can't legally possess guns in Japan, so one of the preferred ways to attack people is by just throwing a vial of acid on them. It's oh, not yeah. less horrifying. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I mean, that that's like that's like the thing, right? Is that, like, um, it is... This is... Uh, at its core, um, a children's show for children to sell action figures. Um, but also, actually, a lot of people just straight up die on screen mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, um... <laughs> well, the good guys gotta defeat the bad guys, Supi. How else? But through murder. <laughs> But through murder, I that that is that yeah right. That's like one of the things where um you kind of have uh like what what is a superhero exactly? And uh, Japan's answer is a guy who kills bad people. Yeah, he makes them explode. And you know what? I can't say that I disagree with the answer there. Um, because I I see an explosion with my human eyeballs, and I go explosion. Uh hmm. Yes, that but was... when you see that explosion, do you just go, yes, justice is served? No, no, no. My brain just goes, mmm, explosion. <laughs> it stops there. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there's no deeper thought that goes on there. It's just, wow, boom. It, it registers that a boom happened. <laughs> All right, that's, I mean, that's fair. Like, mm-hmm. I guess the curious thing about that kind of morality for me is, I don't want to just say they deserved it, but they deserved it. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think like to uh, there is there are layers to it, right? Like, because um, <laughs> like, I feel like a, a lot of the time when they die, it's not like directly because uh, because Takashi just like kicks them too hard. It's like, oh, I, oops, I tripped into my own acid. Uh, <laughs> oh no, I bit myself with my Giga Fangs. <laughs> Yeah. Right. This is this is true. But like, we ac- so. First of all, we acknowledge that Takeshi is aware that he is superhuman, and that any yeah, right. fight that he gets in as a result is a superhuman fight. So there's that. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Even though he's also fighting cyborgs, he apparently is the best cyborg, um, and is capable of kicking people so hard that they unravel. Uh, right. <laughs> I but feel like also... after the first time that happens, you really can't go, whoopsie doodle, don't know my own strength. Yeah, at that point you know that you are Superman. But there's also <laughs> there's also the moral question of when you know that someone is superhuman and will do absolutely anything to destroy other people if left unchecked don't you kind of have to resign yourself to the assumption that you're either going to incarcerate them which you can't do because they will just turn that bar to mist and turn that jail cell to mist and continue doing whatever they were doing or you kill them (laughs) i feel like takeshi is like you know what i don't have time for this shit i have schoolwork to do so i'm just gonna kill you (laughs) I have, I have to get a to new get time to? in my racing club. At a racing club? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he's too busy for this. Okay. And it wouldn't hey, work like listen, we wouldn't he's tolerate it. Is. Like we wouldn't tolerate it otherwise, except for the fact that we know that they're adjacent to Nazis. So we just kind of yeah, let it happen. I mean, true. Well, that, that's also the thing. Is like, it's, it, it, 
when you think about it, is also a little horrifying because, like, most of these people are just people that have been kidnapped and then brainwashed by Nazis. Mm -hmm. True. So you're like, huh, wait a minute. Maybe this... And then they get revived, and you're like, well, what? okay, what do I think now? (laughs) And I'm so curious as to what the revival process for a cyborg is like when they kind of just sort of melt into goo. Like, do they have to go Uh. get the goo? Or do you think they're like... Yeah, do you think they have, like, Nazi copy machines where they're just like, okay, (laughs) we can just remake the Cobra Man. Yeah, like, is there a sample in the lab, or are we going to scrape this guy into a Tupperware for later reassembly? (laughs) I'm I'm inclined to believe it's the latter. Just two shaka combatants on a very large mop that they bring into a very large bucket. Right, so... I'm inclined to believe it's more like that because otherwise, why wouldn't you just keep bringing them back? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I, I do want to add as well because this uh, triggered a thought in my brain because I'm so much more familiar with late Heisei, early uh, Rewa Kamen Rider, um, which is um, a lot of recent series are far more concerned with the idea that someone is not uniquely evil but is still responsible mm. for their actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of those series are about um, you have been given this dark power in order to do this terrible thing, and you knew that you were going to do it when you got this dark power. And then Kamen Rider goes, comes up and asks you, do you still want to do the thing? It's like, yeah, because this is going to make me happy. Okay, I'm going to kick you now. Kick! Um, and in the okay. process of being, ex- and in the process of exploding, you are now actually reformed. <laughs> so, so, <okay. laughs> so that that okay. I did want to talk about this though because the uh, one of the last episodes that we watched was um, episode seventeen, Deathmatch in the Ring, defeat Pyrrhosaurus, and atypically to the rest of what has been going on, he gets de- like the the main cyborg villain gets defeated so hard he becomes a normal human again and (laughs) that just brings so many questions to the table that are very uncomfortable to answer right because now it's like oh oh are you saying you could have been saving them and bringing them back to normalcy all along and we've just been (laughs) engaging in this gratuitous violence Right, like what? What is what is what happened here? What is the mechanic that caused you to become a human being again? And why is it not something that anyone else can can pursue? Because it can't mm-hmm. just be the power of small crying child invested in your well being. Yeah, I there's think traumatized children every week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We would have gotten like, Nazi dad back if that was the case. <laughs> Right, and, and like, okay, but that's like that's like the thing, right, where um, there is kind of some interesting material that they, like, just sort of frustratingly touch upon and then just, like, don't, they just kind of drop it after a couple episodes, where uh-huh. it's like, you know, it would be interesting if, you know, Pyrrhosaurus was, was like, oh, I, I recognize the humanity because I remember my little brother and he, like, overcomes his own brainwashing or whatever. But that's not really what happens, right? <laughs> it's like he gets kicked very hard by, by um, um, not Takeshi uh, at this point. Um, because the it's, new um, one. It's the new comic. <laughs> Hayato, right? Hayato Inji, Ichimonji. Um, Ichimonji, yeah. It, uh, Hayato Ichimonji. And, and then he just kind of is a, a person again, right? Yeah. It just kind of happens. And they don't explain 
like mechanically how it doesn't it's not even explained either like i guess evil is just like a thing that you slide out of like snakeskin well um, we don't even get like a like an on-screen explanation it's just it just kind of like cuts and they're just like okay now he's a human being off into the sunset with his little brother happily ever after i feel like narratively um a lot of that issue is also we don't have time to care about why anyone else has been mm-hmm. uh brainwashed because uh if we recall that episode is part of a uh two, a two episode part. arc yeah uh which means that we have time to care about this person and this kid and to care about how wrestling works in this area even because like the Actual antagonist of this episode is also just a wrestler. <laughs> um, I love how I, I think love how we need to scoot back because we petered out like halfway through the summary of the first episode, and I think <laughs> probably the listeners are a little confused now. Okay, yeah, probably, probably. So many things um, just suddenly happened. Apologies. <laughs> let's All right, maybe let's see. go where, back where to the we? bit where we were working out. The premise of this incredibly bonkers show. Yes, I mean, I feel like even even then, it's it's not so straightforward. Um, but basically, it is actually very af- wild how a show that doesn't have B plots got this fucking convoluted. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, I was gonna mention that like every episode feels so bizarrely incoherent because. So much happens, but also not that much actually happens. <laughs> but then the episode is over, and I'm like, where did the last 24 minutes of my life go? <laughs> yeah. Like, what actually happened? And it's like, maybe like two things, but also like eight. Okay. It's like so, this intense vortex of pacing. It's genuinely just where pacing goes to die. Yeah, time sincerely stops existing in any linear fashion and uh everything is just common writer so first episode right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. takashi is broken out of the shocker base uh by professor midorikawa and then professor midorikawa gets melted by this the man spider i almost said the spider man that is incorrect <laughs> the man spider <laughs> legally distinct <laughs> legally distinct entity the man spider um but uh he gets witnessed in this scene by the daughter of Professor Midorikawa, Ruriko, who assumes that Takashi has killed her dad. Mm-hmm. Which Fair. is a problem for approximately, like, one and a half episodes. Yes. They, they resolve it quite quickly. <laughs> um, and then, uh, let's see, uh, there's, a, there's a car sequence. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ruriko gets kidnapped. And then Takashi comes in and fights the man spider and then kills the man spider. Yep. And yeah. that's kind of it. That's kind of the first episode, actually. It, it sounds is. like very yeah, little has happened. About it. But they did make that take up like a whole 22 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you get, you get a lot minutes. of like, well, you get a lot of like um, the sort of sampling of uh, a little bit of Takashi's like, normal everyday life and then you get a little bit of um uh like tachibana's like cafe um and and all that sort of stuff it's interesting to me because 
there is it's like we get some of these daily life scenes to contrast to the sort of supernatural stuff that's happening um but it's like we it, like we haven't invented slice of life yet so we're not really like that great at it mm-hmm. they're just like hanging out like mm, have you heard about all of those disappearances that have been happening isn't that spooky and in the corner takashi is like hmm could it be shocker and then they go investigate yeah it's also and- worth noting that, like, eight of those minutes in that episode are uh, taken up with Takashi going, I'm a cyborg now. Does that mean that I'm not human and therefore not deserving of love? Right, yeah, right. Yeah, he's very concerned about that. <laughs> there, were, there were a solid couple episodes where Tak one of Takashi's character traits was, how do I deal with being a cyborg person now? I don't know my own strength. I accidentally hurt this child when gripping his hand too hard, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And you could have gone somewhere with that, but no, we just kind of drop it at some point. And they we're do like, drop actually. it, yes. Yeah, they like straight up drop it. And they're just like, actually, you know what? Being a cyborg fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> I kicked something so hard it exploded. I've made peace with my inhuman nature. You know what? Yeah. Actually, I kind of love that. If I was a cyborg and I was like worried about my humanity, I too would kick something so hard it exploded for the first time and be like, actually, no, this fucks. <laughs> no, straight up whatever misgivings I have now do not exist because it's uniquely another kind of Superman thing right in the first mm. few days you're like oh my god I can't actually be close to the people that I care about without potentially hurting them and then after you kick enough bad guys you go you know what kicking bad guys makes up for all of that uh, other shit so I guess I'll just keep kicking bad guys then this fulfills me now mm-hmm there, there is kind of a, a weird sort of, like, substance to that as, like, the, the core of the show, um, particularly because structurally this is a, a tokusatsu monster of the week show where every week there's a new monster, unless it's a two-parter, in which case it's usually the same guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just about, like, how do we beat the new monster? And there is not necessarily a ton of room for other stuff in that. It, at least in this era of of tokusatsu media, right? Um, it it's very much like I think it, that's what accounts for the weird sort of pacing is that a lot of things are happening, but we really don't know how anyone actually feels about it, and so we get kind of strung along with a lot of things appearing on our television screen. Like I, I've I've said this, but like if you were eight years old and you didn't give a shit about any of that, like any character development or whatever, you just wanted to see um, a cool guy in a Kabuto mask, like beat the shit out of cyborgs until they explode. (laughs) This show fucks. This show rules. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's still clear enough about its morality that it can continue to rule without being like bad to watch. And that's fine. I mean, that's like, uh, that, that is one of the things that I think is, is interesting. Um, the sort of like lineage of, um, I guess like, uh, of like superhero slash like, um, shonen protagonist, uh, morality, the idea that you are somebody who is inflicting a great deal of pain upon a lot of other people. How do you justify that to make it correct? And it's okay. You're the protagonist. Right. I feel like a lot of the times it kind of just boils down to, I'm not going to think about that, actually. It's, I'm just going to go. I'm going to do what feels right to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I'm going to kick these monsters so hard until they explode. <laughs> and I mean, it particularly matters in Kamen Rider's case because, again, uh, Takahi is not a member of an organization. He doesn't work for the FBI. Um, although I guess he had friends slash acquaintances who did. Um, he's Eventually. just he's just a guy who got powers. And mm. it takes him exactly, what, four months give or take, to decide it is my sole duty to travel to Europe to dismantle Shaka in that right. country. <laughs> I didn't even know Takeshi had a passport, but I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> yeah, so about 14-ish, like so 13 episodes in, um, I believe it was because Fujioka sustained some kind of injury and had to, had to recover. Um, but we transition from we transition very suddenly from uh takeshi being the main character to um having another common i'm not gonna say that that hayato is like the the main character really because it kind of feels like he's not at least in the episodes that we've watched he is there and he is the the titular common writer but he just kind of shows up and does things which like I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you could say the same about Takeshi, but, like, I feel like we got a little bit more of Takeshi, and, like, Hayato is just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think the supporting cast also, their lives kind of revolved a bit around Takeshi mm-hmm. since he was the main right. character. But then now, since he's gone, their lives don't really revolve around Hayato, and well, so in, they have a little more, more presence. So, like, in, in the fiction of the universe, what happens is... um. Takeshi goes overseas with Ruriko mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. fight Shocker overseas. And so we have to get another common rider to defend Japan, which like opens up so many more cans of worms and questions. <laughs> like, Just, yes. did you two I know meet it's... while you were being held in a cell in Shocker? <laughs> How do you two know right. each other? Where did this guy come from? Right. Like, there is. I mean, okay. At the end of the day, it's like, how much can you sort of like nitpick the the world and logic of of a monster of the week show? But on the other hand, I feel like sometimes the explanations are so out there. They're just like so contrived. <laughs> it feels like they didn't even take the easy way out with any of these. They were just like, what is the weirdest possible thing we could choose to do here? Okay, what if there was another common writer? And it's like, how... Imagine being Shocker, right? Like a, an organization that has conquered probably at this point like 85 to 90% of the world and like you're just stuck on this stupid little island nation where a man is just too strong. We accidentally made a man too strong. And then you're like, okay, the common Rider is the best cyborg we have ever made. We could just make another one. And then and they the- fuck it up again. Yeah. <laughs> Why Although, do we keep losing common riders? Can you imagine <laughs> being in that rider's room and getting the phone call where they tell you Fujioka just fucking shattered his leg. He's going to be gone <laughs> right. for months. Fix this narratively. Go make us a new rider and make us an excuse for him being here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can I can imagine it now. There's cigarettes everywhere, and they're just like, fuck. <laughs> no. I mean, they have, like, all this cyborg technology that they can make up. They could have just had, I feel like, Takashi transfer his powers to, like, 
a new dude that he chooses like, or whatever. Like, they have a little arc or I something. I feel like it, it was probably one of those situations where they were just like, okay, all right, hang on. So Fujioka just, like, shattered his back or whatever. Um, we need a new guy to be, like, the common writer. And they're like, okay, uh-huh. can we get, like, a new costume? And they're like, sorry, costuming's, like, off for this season. And we're like, what? <laughs> That's why he had to have it underneath his microsuit. <laughs> <laughs> right? So they're like, we have to make a new guy, but he has to wear the same costume as the old guy. See, I feel like the way I would have handled this if I was in that writer's room is because Shocker knows Takeshi's identity and is attacking him in his home base, he has used his cyborg powers to get a facelift, and now he's living undercover as Hayato. <laughs> oh, right. This yeah, narratively, that would cool. slightly more justifiable, right? I think so, mm-hmm. too, yeah. yeah. That would have been neat. Although I will say... That it is kind of hilarious, the story that they do give. Because Hayato does give an answer as to he why he's here in Japan. And it's, yes. I mean, his answer is terrible. But in a way, that is actually <laughs> hilarious to me. Which is... So I was being operated on to be a cyborg as well. And then... uh, This guy came and went, Nah, that's not gonna happen. And it broke me out. It's like... You mean to tell me you tried the exact same... Surgery under the exact same conditions and didn't think that the one cyborg that actually survived would go, no, I don't want this to happen. Maybe you'll just need to make bigger bases. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, at the very least, have some precautions set in place, right? Like, make some of your, like, shitty monster minions, like, gank this guy before he learns how to use his body, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've learned that the security measures for Shaka bases are either... Lots of dirt or two guards. I okay. And I, I, I love <laughs> right. I love this detail about shocker bases, which is that there's always just like a random hole that that yeah. they can go through. They're like, okay, just punch through this wall. What's behind the wall? Freedom. Why? <laughs> like, I I definitely I, I I genuinely want to believe that for the per- the first like eight or nine episodes, shocker bases are really just like buried underground like not that they built a bunker underground but that they built a normal structure on ground level and then just piled it with loose dirt (laughs) i would believe it i honestly would believe it because everybody's coming down a small slope um they run an experiment with uh, other kidnapped uh, subjects in like episode 3 or 4 where they just emerge on the beach and nobody knows how they got there right Um, I just have to believe that they just live in the dirt now I will I will say I do love I do love um, some of the the shocker plans um, because one of their plans to kill uh, Takeshi was to just put him in a big hole, like a just a big mm-hmm. deep hole that he could not jump out of, and then throw bombs at him. <laughs> and then the bombs create enough wind to activate his cyborg ability so that he can cyborg <laughs> jump out. Couldn't you have made a deeper hole? Yeah. Couldn't you have put a lid on the hole? <laughs> Anything. Like you'd, think, like, you'd think that the hole was enough, right? They, All you they, need is a Just cover the hole. Humans suffocate. You know that, right? Humans kind of need air to live. Or they just need to they, cover the hole and wait. They tried to kill Takeshi 
like you would try to capture and kill a normal grasshopper. <laughs> just, just, it's, it's so much. I, okay. I do want to talk about, um, about episode 13, the last, uh, episode where we get, uh, Takashi before, um, we, we get Ayato. But also, oh God. I just kind of, I also kind of want to just mention, like, really quickly how much it kind of sucks that, like, when Fujioka goes, so, like, Ruriko also just has to, like, leave the show. We can't just have the the one character that we kind of care about be That's in there still. That's what I was wondering. How come she left? Like, <laughs> like... Cough, cough, romantic so, uh, subplot. No, you're right. Were they, were they worried that she would then fall in love with Hayato? <laughs> it, it, like, obviously, it's because, like, you know, um, uh, Takashi and Ruriko are, like, intertwined characters, sort of. Like, really, when you think about it, they don't actually, like, talk to each other that much. They're just kind of mm-hmm. in the same space. But, like, mm-hmm. the implication is clear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. You're supposed to be like, oh, they're, they're like, you know, supposed to, to be romantically involved. Um, but it is kind of sad when you have both of the characters that you really care about leave the show. And you yes. get a new common writer who... Um, you know, your mileage is going to vary. It's at least going to take a little bit to get used to a new common writer, unless he's, like, really endearing really quickly. Um, <laughs> and again, your mileage is going to vary there. But then you get left with, with Tachibana, who you're just like, who is this weird old man? This weird old man who has been just borderline <laughs> incompetent for most of the run of the series. Right. <laughs> this This weird old man who, like, his entire lore is... Um, he is like Takeshi's like bike trainer and he owns uh-huh. a cafe where he just like talks to like underage girls just constantly. Like that's just what he spends his time yeah. doing, it seems. And then And then you get stuck with, with Taki, who is an FBI agent, and you're just like uh, I don't know how much I really care about. Like, they dress him up like he's supposed to be a cool guy, you know, like in in sort of seventies uh, cool guy fashion. They're just like, here you go. He's wearing a a a jean vest, and you're like, mm, what a cool guy he is. What a cool older brother man this 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 sir is. Um, but I will say one thing that we have not touched on yet that was absolutely integral to our watching experience, was talking about Taki's vertical leap. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Taki is a human, a mortal. He's we a mortal even, human being we haven't with no even cybernetic learned, enhancements. We haven't even learned yet that he's a member of the CIA, right? Is it the CIA or the FBI? FBI. Yes, he just inexplicably has like a 12-foot vertical leap. Yeah, he's a, he's like, a human. But he can is... fight a cyborg hand to hand whenever he wishes, and he can just leap like head first into the air over a gate like it's not an issue. Right. And no like, one asks so... him why. To, to mean... set the scene for you. <laughs> go ahead, Sue. Sorry, go on. No, oh, no. Go ahead. I was just saying to set to set the scene for you, like you have Rico in front of like a gate, you know, like a, a, a sort of like uh iron fence. And then Taki comes and is just like this is the age of feminism, but Something leave this to a man's job. <laughs> right? This is a man's job. And then he clears this 12-foot like tall iron fence with just his human legs. And I this is a man's clear. job. Does this a is... thing that a man cannot do. 
This is absolutely just, we didn't want to film you scrambling over the gate where you might hurt yourself. So here's a shot of you jumping straight up. And here is a shot of you landing safely on the other side. And we're not showing anything between those two things. Right. A standing jump. But, a standing jump, Craig. He didn't even make a run. He just <laughs> yep, just but threw also his arms note, up in the air and flew. But I also want to note that this marks a an unstated departure from the rest of the series, which is every episode before this, no mortal did get in a fight with uh, any of Shaka's cyborgs because you knew what the result of that would be. So you'd mm-hmm. see some people being kidnapped, you'd see some people running away, you never saw anybody fight. Tachibana never mm-hmm. fought, uh, other innocents never fought, but ever since Taki jumped over that gate, <laughs> every time you see a new male character, a new male secondary character in an episode, that person watches a cyborg and says, yeah, I could take this. Every single time. I can do that. And some of them actually do. And I'm like, so are this, like, are there mortals then or not? But I, I'll take it. No, but it's infuriating because none of the female characters are doing this. And now it begs the question, like, is jumping power stored in the penis? <laughs> no, the Y chromosome. I mean, <laughs> it's stored in the balls. We, sh- we, should, we should also qualify, though, that uh, when... Uh, Tachib- when Tachibana decides to add ch- uh, three new female characters to the uh, racing club, uh, at, <sighs> least, at least one and a half of them are willing to get in a scrap whenever necessary. That's true. Mm-hmm. They were game. They were, they were ready to throw down. Which good. And then the show goes, you know what? We're going to make sure that you want to fight, but we're never going to make you actually fight or actually win. You're just going to be surrounded by Shaka combatants and get dizzy and leave. And it's ridiculous. Have you seen the nails on those girls? They could fucking yeah. shred somebody. Yeah. One of them in particular whose name escapes me could definitely fuck a cyborg up. She knows exactly mm-hmm. what she's doing. Oh, absolutely. Is it the one they portray as being super airheady? Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the one that, like, puts her fists up and then faints, I think. Oh, yeah. She immediately faints. <laughs> Which is just, like... It's just, it's just pain. This is insulting, honestly. I have a lot of feelings about. I have a lot of feelings about all of these girls. To be to be fair, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Mari is the one who gets portrayed as super duper airheady, but I think like one hundred and ten percent, she could straight up murder half of Shocker. They no, just yeah, need to she let has... her at them. <laughs> She has it in her. The, the, stories will, the story will never let her do that. My thing yeah. is, um, Yuri and Michi are like, have martial arts training. Wait, yeah, I'm and, reading this and now it's like, oh yeah, Mari fences. Yuri is a first down black belt. Michi does Aikido. Yeah. And it's like, when are you going to show this on screen? Not a <laughs> single time. It's very upsetting. Like, Michi will just hear that uh, some weird bullshit is taking place and immediately put up her dukes to strangers who don't even know what's happening. I'm like, um, I get that you want to do this. Please let, please, story, let Michi do the thing. Because she will fuck a cyborg up. And it's the right thing to do. 
and then it never happens. No. Mm-hmm. I just want to see that happen, please. I just want I have any to... Kamen Rider show to lean into, like, when you are perceived as female in Japan, I do think that it leaves a lot of us with an inherent bloodthirstiness because you get so angry after a while. And I wish any Kamen Rider show would lead into that. And just let a girl go fucking ape shit for once. Please. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. That would be so cathartic. Indeed. It would make considering up for some the gender of the... pay gap, but it would be a start. Yes. <laughs> Especially considering some of the weird bullshit that later Rider series have done to female characters who have the potential oh, yeah. to be Riders, yeah. y'all. So very upset. Mm. Yeah, that's like that's like at least one thing you can say about uh, the original Common Rider is, I mean, it was the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You really ain't got no excuse anymore, let me tell you that. Design choices, too. Just, man, those outfits. God, it's it's also so aggressively 70s, too, because they're just like, all right, what's an activity that, like, young people do? Go-go dancing. Yeah! Go-go dancing in completely inappropriate <laughs> venues. Right. <laughs> With children. This is true. In the race. With yes. children. Oh, I loved, okay, I will say I loved that episode because um, the bartender, like, is dead, but then somehow moves and then also turns into a skeleton. <laughs> Like, that sequence is just so unintentionally funny. <laughs> There's a lot I'd... of stuff in these where it's like, oh, you didn't intend that one to be funny, but it is objectively hilarious. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like there is a, a large part of it that has to do with um, kind of the evolution of uh, editing techniques and uh, mm-hmm. what we sort of culturally view as like pacing and uh, what makes sense. But also like at this current po- uh, moment in time, when we look at stuff that's like put together that sort of like juxtaposed that harshly, it becomes funny because you recognize how absurd it is. I'm specifically thinking about the dog plot because, like, that was supposed Mm -hmm. to be heart-wrenching. And instead, it's just... Oh, God, it's so bad. Right. So the the Cobra Man plot is that uh, the terrifying Cobra Man can bite people with his giga fangs and melt them into puddles. But while, I think, robbing a bank or something, he accidentally drops them and a dog picks them up and takes them home. Um... We don't really find out what happens to that dog. We just know that the fangs are missing and that the Cobra Man has to fist fight Takeshi instead of using his Giga Fangs. Um, and then we find out that at the end of the episode, the dog is just dead. They're just visiting the grave of the dog. And the cut is so <laughs> sudden. You're just like, what is going on Wait, here? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. There's no way. I'm sorry, Giga Fang, these 100%. Sounds like a Pokemon attack. Well, yeah. Well, oh, you yeah. got you it got Hyper Fang is. and Super Fang. Giga Fang is the is obviously the next mm-hmm. uh, logical uh, logical step. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's just I I am just like personally the the part of that entire story that uh, tickles me the most is not the idea that 
uh, a dog found a pair of fangs and just decided <laughs> to take it home with it. Or the juxtaposition of watching this dog die to this, like, large, like, cyborg super weapon. But just the idea that Shaka created a cyborg Cobra Man. <laughs> but the fangs need to be applied separately. Right. And they take months of, of like, uh, work to make also. Like, what is going on in those fangs? You mean Shaka didn't have glue? Couldn't, like... Give this man like a carrying case to put. Yeah, the, why to... were they? Why were they like so detachable? You know. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't he carry around one of those little cases that you put your retainer in during meals? Listen, he's a cyborg. He should have that integrated into his body. <laughs> You'd imagine, right? <laughs> At the very least, just epoxy that shit to your actual teeth. So, like, you're ever bad... going to eat? You're a cyborg. You don't need to eat. How bad of a cyborg, like, villain do you have to be to drop your main form of attack and not notice that it's gone for, like, way too long? Because that dog had to come in and, like, take it, but that dog could not have gone, like, far. So, like, the Cobra Man was just like, oh no, my main form of attack, where has it gone? Oh well. In the terrifying yeah, Cobra Man's defense... Yesterday, I straight up was awake for about 90 minutes before I realized I hadn't put my glasses on yet. <laughs> See, I feel like... I feel like that is... See, that's a glasses problem. That's a glasses problem. I have... Have you ever misplaced your glasses while the glasses were still on? Yep. <laughs> no. Right. That's a problem with us. I don't think you can misplace your teeth. <laughs> What about like it, it's like dentures, right? Yeah, you right. Know? <laughs> it, well, it, okay, but it's like it's like if you had something that was like vital for your job, right? Where you're like, <laughs> imagine if you were, um, uh, fuck, I don't know, uh, uh, a construction worker, and you just like have like a, a tool belt and a, a hard hat, and you just like accidentally put them down, and you cannot find them. How how long does how long do you go before you get the OSHA complaint, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my ADHD ass did leave this house without my work laptop the other day, so Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Big ADHD feels. Yep. Understandable. So, Maybe so the man's ADHD. Down, I realize right. oh shit. And I have to get off the train, get on the train going back the other direction. <laughs> So what we're saying is we've circled all the way back to having solidarity for the Cobra Man. Cor correct. The Cobra Man is actually ADHD representation <laughs> yes. on screen. The fangs <laughs> fell out of his line of sight, so they ceased to exist. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. You know what? I'm on board now. I'm on board. This, this storyline fucks. Nice. And see, half the reason it works is because if you are diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, it is illegal for your doctor to give you Adderall. You just gotta deal with it in this country. Really? Oh my god. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, what, what are you supposed to do then? You're supposed to deal with it. <laughs> oh, Japan. So you go to a doctor and you tell them that you have a serious medical issue and the doctor says cope and tells you to leave. Cool. Pleasant. Yes, this is exactly what happened to me. And then my doctor and I also wound up making an agreement that he wasn't going to put the diagnosis in my chart so that I didn't have to disclose it to my employer. Wow. Oof. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, sort of a whole set of issues there. Hold on, I've got a solution for you. Have you considered going to the great hero common writer? <laughs> <laughs> Watch him kick a man so hard he explodes. I swear it'll cheer you up and fix your mental illness. <laughs> I Perhaps. mean, there it is. It will me hard enough that my ADHD will explode and leave me neurotypical. <laughs> but I mean, doctor, there, there I am a... the common writer. Oh, Lord. I mean, to be fair, there is a common writer who is a practice doctor. He's oh, also good. the greatest video oh. game player of all time. I'm... Oh, you always have to have two. two <laughs> Those things you can never have one. So deeply time consuming that I feel like it's got to be one or the other. He could be right? a doctor yeah. who knits. That would be plausible. He could be a you, gamer you with pick... like a day job in publishing. Mm-hmm. Like you had to pick two of the most intense, like time intensive things on the planet. I mean, Kamen <laughs> uh, Rider Exid is lucky in that he eventually specializes in a form of medicine that can only be performed by playing a video game. What? Um, <laughs> I like Operation I like <laughs> I like that oh Danganronpa is is a game about exceptional teenagers, but it is kind of weird in that it acknowledges how exceptional those teenagers are, as opposed to like ninety nine percent of Japanese media where it's just like this is just normal. This is what a protagonist is like. Yeah, a protagonist is a high, a super high school level doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sorry, the this protagon- is what peak performance looks like. <laughs> the protagonist of of Exid, his entire like character development is he got sick one time and idolized a doctor, and then forgot that he idolized a doctor and wanted to be a doctor when he grew up. So he became an esports an esports mogul, and then forgot that he was an esports mogul and decided to go back into studying medicine. And then discovers that there is a special human virus that is also a computer virus that can only be defeated by defeating the virus at a video game. Wow. Okay. Wow. Exit is a lot. Exit is a lot. I'm not sure I enjoy it, but it's lovely to describe (laughs) to people. Hold on. Are any of you uh, cognizant or aware of the the trauma center video games? Yes. Yes. I'm aware of them, yes. Okay. <laughs> I have a funny story where um, this reminds me a lot of... I, I once received the Trauma Center um, Under the Knife video game for the <laughs> Nintendo DS because I was like... Sure. I told my parents I would like the Operation game. And I meant the <laughs> oh, board oh. game. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then they hand me, on Christmas Day, a video game... <laughs> That is about surgery, but then about superhuman surgery, and then is about sur- surgery fighting a bioweapon. Mm-hmm. I, okay, I would love to actually do an episode about uh, Trauma Center at some point, because it's so bonkers. I'm, I'm excited to hear yes. more about this wild thing. Good lord. And then also... Yeah. Uh, I th- I I feel like I feel like I was very betrayed when the art style changed between the first and second games. Oh really? Yes. Um. So I'm just gonna shelve that for now. But yes, for a later date. Um. But I would like to like briefly pivot to my two favorite episodes of the episodes that we have seen of Kamen Rider. Hmm. Um. Uh. Which is episode six and episode seven. Oh boy. Okay. Yep. 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 
because it has my favorite asterisk um, <laughs> reveal of the entire series. <laughs> uh, footnote. By favorite, I mean either the absolute best or the absolute worst thing to ever happen in a Kamen Rider series. Um, sure. Which is Nazi treasure. Yup. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I heard that sigh. Oh my god. <laughs> So the the next the next cyborg in the the Shaka roster, um, uh-huh. uh, the Shinigami chameleon, attempts to kidnap uh, a former Japanese soldier and ask him where he hid Nazi treasure because it may mm-hmm. hold the key to Shaka gaining control over the entire world. Um, and the fact that that exists. That Shaka knows about it, and that Shaka knows about it because it confesses that it had a relationship to the Nazi regime. Yep, yes. It's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot to put so into a children's show. I, like, imagine, imagine waking up on a Saturday morning and watching Superman <laughs> or Max Steel and discovering wildly in the next, in the next ten minutes a Nazi subplot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, honestly, we could just insert that into any, any like, tokusatsu show that, like, made it overseas, right? Imagine if you were, Saturday morning, you, you wake up, you start watching Power Rangers, and the subplot is about Nazi treasure. You'd be like, what in the goddamn? Yeah. <laughs> and, so there's a lot that I love about these two episodes. Um, Asterisk again. Asterisk, but asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> I think the thing that I enjoy the most is that in the end of this two episode story, um, they go to like dig up the hole where the Nazi treasure is stored and they find this large golden Nazi sarcophagus. And like all of the iconography is correct because you don't want to get that wrong, but I'm like, do we really need children to see it? Um, and then they open the sarcophagus and nothing is in it. Except for Kamen Rider, who leaps out of this box and admits that he found the treasure er earlier (laughs) and threw it into the sea. (laughs) We don't even get to learn what it is. That is my favorite detail, is that he just (laughs) threw it into the sea. Yeah, he was just like, nobody needs to know what it is. I don't even give a fuck what it is. All I know is it's it's, it's evil, so it's gonna drown now. Time to fight. <laughs> and I like that because, like, in another story, they would have given us this entire thing, like, we know exactly what's in the box, and this is what it does, and we're gonna give you an opportunity to see mm-hmm. it do the terrible thing before mm-hmm, it gets mm-hmm. destroyed. Nope, it's mm-hmm. Nazi, so you don't need to know what it is. Just Just get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that was purposeful. Like we're gonna we're gonna do the most evil thing that we can in this moment to establish exactly how evil Shaka is. But because it's this evil thing, we're not gonna qualify it because it doesn't actually matter. What matters is you know what these stakes are, and we're going to mm-hmm. move on. See, right. I think the reason they did it that way was entirely that the writers' room did not want to have to answer the question of what was in the box. That's also possible. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Kind of like they didn't want to explain my man's 12-foot vertical leap. Uh, <laughs> they just I mean, didn't want to explain the Nazi treasure either. <laughs> it's also the fact that any answer that you could give for what is in the box will simultaneously be disappointing and yes, very yes. emotionally hostile. Because on the yes. one hand, you're like, oh, the Nazis just did this. 
okay, cool. But on the other hand, you have to be able to... You're essentially telling an audience that you've thought about what the Nazis are capable of. (laughs) I mean, they they had a special metal science box. Yeah, maybe we don't need to know. Maybe you don't need to confess to us that you've thought about the answer to this question. Maybe we trust you. My personal theory about it is that because of the history of Nazis going after occult artifacts and the very Mm. specific story of Christianity in Japan, it was something Jesus-related. Oh my god. Wait, do you guys know the one about... um, Jesus didn't die on the cross, and it was a Japanese guy who took Jesus's place on the cross. Sorry, what? Oh, Jesus has a secret <laughs> Japanese what? twin brother. Oh my god! And Jesus ah, escapes so to is, Japan before it's like the crucifixion. Giga Mormonism. And his Japanese twin brother was crucified in his place. And hang on, there is a Jesus grave in I want to say Almori. So yep. this is shit. Huh? Yes, in Almori. Christ's tomb so, is in Almori. What? This, so what this, we're this saying the Japanese is Japanese Christ. This is the secret like missing time time slot between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the Book of Mormon. That's what we're saying. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow. Oh my god. Grand. The full I thought of Christ. I thought we were gonna do the pieces of Jesus thing, um, but then it got actually either less weird or more weird. <laughs> I I love I love the the sort of flippant way that Christianity is treated in Japanese media, where it's just like I don't know, oh, yeah. f- like I love that um, the JoJo's, JoJo's Bizarre, Bizarre Adventure. Adventure. <laughs> it's like oh okay, God. if you absorb the pieces of this unnamed saint yeah. that yes. we will not yes. name mm-hmm. if you eat Jesus's limbs if you eat Jesus's limbs you get a stand that's just how it works you just get a stand it awakens the stand power within you and I love that it just sort of canonically establishes that Jesus son of you know Joshua son of Joseph is the the world's first Jojo <laughs> stop it stop it I didn't need you to go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Stop it. Jesus fucking no. Christ. You We're know. You know. You know that's what it is. No. Oh my god, Araki, no. No. 100. Okay. No way. You you look at you look at like Hirohiko Araki and you tell me that's not what he was like. He was like, mm. "No." It's free real estate. But, I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the part where I've never seen JoJo, so I'm still stuck on the part where apparently stand capability is transmitted through communion. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. No, but so not communion. Communion. You actually have to eat Jesus's actual limbs. Right. It, it's like it's a little them. Jujutsu Kaisen. But like, here's the thing: is is um and okay. How JoJo's much limb do you need to eat? Uh, <laughs> no, you have to eat you each to limb eat- whole. You have to yeah, eat no, every you, single you part eat, of Jesus whole. You need to eat whatever part you get. Is um, there a okay. minimum quantity of Jesus one needs to imbibe <laughs> to become a stand user? So, a teaspoon. <laughs> so here's the thing: is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is its own sort of can of bizarre worms. Um, <laughs> well, it's right because, there in the title. Because Araki, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, because Araki 
um writes JoJo's and is um one of those people who's like um like very much like a an actual sort of like aficionado of like Western culture. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. To the point where he spoiled the ending of the Sixth Sense before the movie was translated into Japanese, <laughs> which I think is a very fun detail. Um, but there's just one detail that I have to tell you about uh, about the Jesus stand thing, which is that the Jesus stand thing only comes into play after the universe is rebooted. Yeah. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. This... This seems fine for Jojo's. Sure. This is the tame. This is the tamest Jojo's fact that has ever been shared. <laughs> I will. I will not sit here and describe to you Jojo's bizarre adventure because um, all of the shit that we've been talking about with Common Rider pales in comparison to whatever the fuck is going on in Jojo's bizarre adventure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yes, um, the Shinigami Chameleon set of episodes is not only the first two-parter, it is also honestly one of the wildest ones we rewatched because it is like, yes, shocker, Nazis. Mm-hmm. That, that, it's it. You, you know what it is. You know how it do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it- it's so strange because schools in Japan do everything in their power to avoid teaching World War II. I bet, uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back when I used to do home tutoring, like, it would be the last chapter in the history book, and most teachers would just conveniently run out of time by the end of the year. Huh. One of the reasons that I don't <laughs> tutor anymore is because after a while, it gets really, really depressing to have to verify whether your students know that the Holocaust was real. Ooh. Wow. That I mean, is how like, bad education oof. about World War II is in Japan. There's I mean, everybody- a stunning amount of the adult population that's like, oh no, that was a hoax. The Holocaust didn't I mean, happen. Um, what are you talking about? That's made up. As as uh, depressing as that is, uh, coming from the United States, um, yeah, same hat. I mean, yes, mm. I also went to school in the California public school system where we also conveniently ran out of time before World War II. Who would have thought? Oh, man. Oh. See, that's, that's funny because I... Um, I got a li- I, I got a decent amount of the World War II history, um, having also gone to the the California uh, public education system. It huh. is so much worse elsewhere. <laughs> so the really? only time I, I got World like War II history in school in California was when I did AP Euro, and it was very much focused on really? like just the British and the French. I don't I don't hmm. know if it was I don't know if it's just like the couple of years um between us but like uh, or the areas I guess that we we grew up in but like um I I pretty consistently got the the World War 2 stuff it just um mm-hmm. it was just coupled with the uh the very sort of common writer esque like and then here's why american capitalism prevailed mm-hmm. right it's like here's where america came in but before that they just kind of focused on all of the other countries and I guess their relations or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, so we did. We were able to cover it quite a bit. I feel like the in specific year for U.S. history in high school, we did spend some uh-huh. time on World War II because that made sure we ran out of time before we got to Vietnam. 
Okay, yeah. So that that was like the other thing I was gonna bring up, which is that I feel like in many ways, um, the school system uh, can focus on World War Two because it can be like America was the good guys, and they just right. sort of conveniently truncate all of the other bits, like Vietnam yes. and especially American slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we spend a lot of time on like the Cold War, for example, versus any of the like Vietnam War or I, I actually in barely Saudi got Arabia, any of the Korean anything war. like that. Yeah, the Korean War. Yeah, I the Korean, the Korean war, war was mm-hmm. a day in U.S. history, one wow. day. Which um, uh, wheeze. <laughs> cool. I actually I actually took a uh, an entire class in college about um uh literature and media from the Korean War era specifically, taught by somebody who was a scholar uh, in, um, like, American, South Korean, and North American relations, which is really cool. Because oh, I had a te- cool. I got mm-hmm. a textbook that, um, like a quote-unquote textbook, right? It's just like a printed jumble of documents, uh, some of which are not, like, super publicly available. So, like, I actually have this, like, really cool artifact from this class, and we got to talk about um, a lot of stuff. Uh, we watched some North Korean movies, which were interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting, mm-hmm. certainly. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is a flavor to them, I gotta say. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, o- overall, just, like, historical revisionism um, in television and historical revisionism in the classroom. Um, yeah. Japan. Not a very new experience. Yeah, <laughs> Japan, America, and America, and it's like that meme where they're like holding hands, and it's just like um, just conveniently glossing over war crimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, back in the world of common writer, um, I would like <laughs> I would like to talk about before we go on to the racist uh episodes that are fourteen and fifteen. I would like oh, to talk boy. about episode thirteen. <laughs> The last episode that uh, has to do um, that um, features uh, Takeshi for quite a long time. I believe he comes yeah. back in episode like fifty two or fifty three or something. Which mm-hmm. I mean, if I was like a if I was like an eight year old and like you know my main man had disappeared for a while, I would be fucking stoked as hell to see him back. Mm-hmm. But we did not get that far. We're only going to cover the first seventeen episodes because there's already so much to talk about. I do. I do. I would like to synopsis this this episode for you because it is um, actually, I think, maybe the wildest one. Yes. So first, Shocker resurrects their monster army. Like all of the previous monsters come back, but they can't break into a research laboratory because it has a barrier strong enough to repel a nuke. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Just going to let that hang for a second. Dot. Because uh-huh. <laughs> possesses an electromagnetic field strong enough to block a nuke. So their plan is to kidnap a soccer player and turn him into a lizard monster who is going to lizard monster giga soccer kick an explosive anti-barrier <laughs> orb at the barrier to destroy it. <laughs> That's their plan. <laughs> Um, the okay. idea of having that anti-nuke force field just specifically plays into a lot of generationally inherited fears and trauma over here. Well, yeah, yeah, I bet, like, um, there's a very kind of, like, um, 
it's almost like a childlike fantasy mm-hmm. to sort of just be like, no, we to got the new barrier. Yeah. Right. It's like mm. a, a space where you can kind of forget about it, which I think is, is very interesting. Do they ever qualify why they needed to be in that lab in the first place? Wasn't it also so they could gather the resources to make a weapon? I don't actually remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember either. It's mostly weird because how the hard because it, it was a nuclear facility. The plot of this show that only has an A plot. <laughs> the other parts of okay, but here's the thing: it's the it's because the other parts of the episode are so out there that <laughs> any any nuance has been destroyed, has been erased from my brain. Sure, it's because all they're true, like true. okay. Right. Yes. Well, they're like, okay, there's a barrier here that can like um that can uh block a nuke. So, we've created an anti-barrier orb, but it's too powerful and none of our monsters can throw it. Which begs some questions, which is like, first, why won't you just sacrifice one of your cyborgs? There are they already died once. And two, is the impact of the kick not enough to activate it? And if so, how is the impact of it hitting the barrier enough? Um, three, why would you get a soccer player instead of, like, I don't know, like a shot put champion, right? Mm-hmm. Because it needs to be kicked, because kicking is cool. Kicking is cool. Kicking it's is in the song. Yeah, there Very isn't the cool. rider throw, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or at least like a baseball right like baseball is huge in japan that's what i was thinking i thought that would have been neat but I... as a result we get so, we get i think maybe the funniest like um the funniest <laughs> like writer is defeated plot which is <laughs> yeah tokageron is so good at kicking big rocks that Takashi mm-hmm. cannot get close enough to kick him. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I have to find a way to defeat the, the rock power. <laughs> so Tachibana is like, okay, I'm going to just roll rocks down at you until you figure out what you can do. And Takashi's like, okay. <laughs> it's the most useful thing that Tachibana's done the entire series, and it's throwing boulders down So he just eats <laughs> rocks until he, he realizes he can use both his legs when he kicks. Yeah. Why kick with one foot when you can kick with two? And yes. it's like, yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> in my, in my, it, when I saw that scene, I imagined you know that scene in the Yakuza games where, like, you're typing on your phone very vividly after seeing yes. somebody like fall down, fall down on the street, and suddenly you've learned. A new move to use in combat. Oh, yeah. Yes, correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I thought went on in uh, Takeshi's head when th- yes. he saw that Kaz- stone. I was like, wait. I don't Kiryu need my feet on the ground to kick. And that's that's rad. You know what? It's it's like that moment in My Hero Academia when Midoriya learns that he can use his legs. That he has legs. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I have legs! Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay. But I love that the culmination of this is, one, that Takashi just single-handedly just destroys the entire monster army. So, like, <laughs> either, either Takashi has become way stronger, which is, like, possible, 
or Shocker's just gotten much weaker, which seems more likely, honestly, seeing as, like, the Shocker, like, um, cronies can now be defeated by normal human beings, even though they're, I think, technically cyborgs. <laughs> um, I love that another detail is that the Shocker ambushes just kind of appear out of thin air, so it's like they're being conjured. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> they just kind of and lift out of the ground. It's and all then, that red gas that they pump through the dirt, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and then truly the most delightful thing is that at the at like the the climax of this episode is that instead of using the anti-barrier orb for its intended purpose, Tokageron is going to use it to kill Takeshi. And Takeshi is like, <laughs> "Yes. No you." And he kicks it very hard back. <laughs> and Tokageron explodes. Yeah. And that yeah. is the first, like, proper tokusatsu bad guy explodes. Mm-hmm. And it is forever, like, it is etched into my brain the rest of time. <laughs> I will I never. Mean, I think that's why he, he had to leave after that episode because he just was too powerful and there mm-hmm. were repercussions for that. <laughs> I will, that was what I will he broke never his foot be on. able to. <laughs> yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'll never be able to scrub that image from my mind because it's, on one hand, extremely incredible. It's great. I love it. Um, It's awesome. It's also so funny. It really is. It is so comical to watch this flying lizard get hit with a soccer ball that he kicked and explode in the middle of the air. Yep. Talk about Sabotegron. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, prepare yourselves for slight slash mm, <laughs> perhaps oh. a lot of racism. <laughs> oh god. It so. is it is the kind of racism that is not like um it's not like in your face aggressive. It's just like uh. Well, okay. Yeah, yes and no, right? It's like obviously the kind of thing where it's just because you don't really give a shit. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like the only way this could be worse is if they put a sombrero on him. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. So you might be wondering what Sabo Tegron is. Um okay. <laughs> so, upset by the stalling of Shocker's advance in Japan because they're being stopped by one man, um they send th- <laughs> they send the cyborg cactus man from Shocker's Mexico branch, mm-hmm. who, who his power is to plant extremely explosive cacti. Yes. Which have, um, throughout the course of the episode, I'm, I'm, uh, or the episodes, I'm going to yes. say yes. very variable um, power levels. Mm-hmm. To whatever yeah, is vaguely yeah. convenient. Because the first time we see this thing, it levels a building. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then anytime it's in the vicinity of a person, it's just like, uh, it, it, it's here. Whenever it is around someone who we want to keep for plot reasons. Right. Um, it should also be idly stated that um, this is also the uh, shocker cyborg that we see in camouflage as a white <laughs> CIA agent. Yes. Oh yep. my god. <laughs> That's right. 
just looks like a Resident Evil character, and then he rips his face off. Yeah. It's quite a lot. Um... <laughs> it feels like the kind of reveal that you would have in, like, a Metal Gear Solid game. Yes, yes, very <laughs> much so. You know? Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, also, this is when the thing happens, which is... Shaka has its, like, grunt-level enemies, um, known as Shaka Combat Men, um, who, before this point, had, like, unique, uh, rank-level uniforms that we never actually <laughs> established <laughs> yeah. the meaning or value of. Uh-huh. Um, and then they just kind of all congeal into one uniform. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. one uniform is, uh, a black mm. unitard with skeletons on uh, on the front of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very Lucha Libre. You can't look at it and yeah. say that mm-hmm. that's not the goal. So the the mere fact that Shocker's only physical fighters now look like Lucha Libre uh, fighters, and it happens the day that they introduce a Mexican cyborg into Japan to do the thing. Uh, do you know? Kind of not what ideal. I find. Do you know what I find like so uh, funny about this this whole situation is is. It is. It reminds me. Uh, like, okay. To start with, I feel like Japan doesn't really give a shit about most of the rest of the world in terms of mm-hmm. like taking them seriously as cultures. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. it has it has a very kind of um, empire esque uh, feel to it, where they're just like, yep. I mean, whatever those Western barbarians are up to, um, mm-hmm. and. It this comes through in Just funny ways. All of history, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and this this comes through in I think um, some ways that are very funny, which is um, whenever Japan decides to depict America or the uh, American Southwest. Um, <laughs> Where they're just like, okay, what is America made of? Uh, I don't know, deserts and diners. There's old cars too. Cool, right? It's the kind of thing that would be offensive if like America did not have so much institutional power over the country of Japan. Um, mm-hmm. but because because those power dynamics exist, it's objectively funny. Um, but whenever those um same kind of flippant attitudes to depicting culture are moved anywhere else on the globe it's kind of it becomes kind of problematic like for instance when you're like okay what is mexico made of cactus lucha libre masks that's it yeah they're literally called mexican flowers <laughs> i like i mexico will say mexico doesn't grow a single other piece of fauna cool explosives that yes Brilliant, lovely. I, I will. I will say this. I do. I do find it absolutely comical that their plan was to just plant Mexican cacti everywhere and like hope people didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> like not like it would have been an invasive species at that point at all. Surely. Um, I mean that's that's you know, really the, the biggest crime, right? If it would be, because I don't think it could thrive in the way it needs to to be an invasive species. I don't think so either. It's not, um... The climate is just all the hell wrong. That's true. It's not dry enough, I can't yeah. E- yeah, I can't even successfully raise a cactus in a pot 
If I tried to put one in the soil here, I would lose it even faster. Well, yeah, th- I mean, that, that's a, the succulents are, like, um, known as very hardy plants, but they're actually quite delicate in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. But it, this, the, con- the concept is just so funny on its head. Mm-hmm. Especially because the, the episodes themselves are full of uh, the, our protagonists now knowing that cacti may be explosive, looking at every single cactus they meet with scorn. Yeah, and then they'll just, like, slap a cactus like it didn't explode. Yeah. There was like, what, what's I, I going feel like on there here? was one character who like immediately when upon seeing the cactus recognized it as a Mexican yes, species. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh, is this a native? <laughs> it happened it happened in the very worst scene in Kamen Rider ever. <laughs> which is when Mari like- tries to tries to like um like chat up Hayato. And like it's not working. Like oh yeah, oh god, oh, yeah. yeah. She's oh not you're right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> She's not successfully oh, yes, and... wooing him at all, I and forgot. I think that Hayato is in love with his in love with his camera. Um, but then I they open the this. box and go, oh, that's a Mexican flower. He's like, uh, a what? Um, and they have this idle conversation. At which point he's like, no, this is actually a bomb throws it out of the window and then they're like oh another one is headed to cafe amigo and then they rush to cafe amigo and everybody is touching the cactus and it won't explode yeah that's okay the rules are so flippant in this in this episode uh or in these two episodes we're like it's deeply inconsistent it's like ah yes you see the gentle touch of a butterfly will set off this (laughs) cactus bomb it will destroy a building and then and then you just have Hayato like grabbing one yeah. and being like, grabbing "This it, is a bomb!" It, throwing it, and he like mm-hmm. throwing it out the window, <laughs> presumably to Catching injure some standby. Falls through the air. It's, it's like, hilarious. What is going on here? Um, but you you just you just reminded me of the best line in these in this set of episodes, which is, "I don't do women." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, want, I, mm, I can't remember <laughs> if we had asked while we were watching what that what it was that he said um, in the original Japanese, but I don't need to know because that translation is brilliant. If I remember correctly, it was closer to like, nah, women are no good. Yeah, it's like women are no good as models. Wow, still uh, works for, for like, me. Photography. The as models part was sort of implied, <laughs> which is which is I think also equally you had funny. To get that from context. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think brilliant. I think that's actually equally, if not like funnier. Where it's just like mm, taking pictures of women. I don't think so. The male the male form is the ideal form. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I want, I want the, I want the subtext. I want the secret canon to be that that uh, Hayato Ichimonji is like just gay, right? He's just a homosexual. I read man. him as ace and maybe slightly sex repulsed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I could that also is buy very that. possible. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I briefly want to interject to have more Mexico feelings. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, let us return to this space. Um. So. I haven't watched a great deal of Kamen Rider. Righteous Kick's goal as a show is to watch the Kamen Rider series that I haven't gotten to yet, uh, in a lot of ways. So I cannot comment on the entire franchise's relationship to uh, race and nationality. But I can't speak about Kamen Rider Revised because it just came out and it's not done yet. 
So Kamen, Re- Kamen Rider Revice is uh controversial because before mm. it came out, people only knew two things about it, which is that the voice of the demon vice in the series was also the voice of like characters like uh Tojo from Jujutsu Kaisen. Um did a blackface at one time um, and had to had, and had to wipe his Instagram so people wouldn't <gasps> see it anymore. Um, you know, I, I okay, I, I, I just <clears throat> have to. I, I'm so sorry for interrupting. I, I do just have to make an aside here, which is um, I, the internet has poisoned me because you were talking about voices and I was my brain just went Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt. Good lord! <laughs> so that was the one thing that confused a lot of international fans who are already kind of reviled in the fandom because international Kamen Rider fandom tends to be very weird and bad um, and did a lot of very hostile things in the um, during the anniversary period of Kamen Rider that is a completely different conversation for a completely different day, um, which we kind of covered on an episode of Righteous Kicks, but no matter. Mm-hmm. So that was the one thing. And the other thing is, the antagonists of Kamen Rider Revice are known as the Deadmans. This is the oh first boy. line of the history page on KamenRider.Fandom.com about Deadmans. An unknown vice stamp that can separate demons from humans was discovered in Latin America in 1971. That sounds fine. That sounds cool. I'm intrigued to see a Kamen Rider series try to, est- try to establish um lore that is attached to different spaces and have to think very mm-hmm. deeply about those spaces. The names of the general villains of Deadmans are Aguilera, Olteca, and Julio. <laughs> They're all played by <laughs> Japanese people. One of them of wears a sombrero that is wider than <laughs> anything that you can ever imagine. <laughs> Olteca! His name is Olteca. Um, cool, fun, delightful, and... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I have to ask, is the sombrero on the pa- premium Bandai store yet? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna be absolutely real with you. I'm now going to check, but if it isn't, I would actually be very surprised at their restraint. If it isn't, there's still hope for us. <laughs> it's oh my as, God, as a it's... species, <laughs> and I mean, it like the the politics of this are so weird and so strange that it didn't just lead to um, Latinx rider fans in the United States beefing with Japanese rider fans. It led to them also beefing with um, Latinx rider fans outside of the U.S who just wanted to enjoy a mm-hmm. thing. And I'm like, but you'll be able to enjoy the thing if nobody did this to it. Why a sombrero? Like, and... It's only because of my po- the, the poet in me is making that unique attachment to 1971. To the fact that it is tied, therefore, essentially, to the date that Kamen Rider began. Um... Mm-hmm. And therefore, accidentally, in the same theoretical space 
as shocker combat men in Lucha Libre uniforms, that I can't help but ask, if this is not purposeful, then why did it need to happen? And if it is, Mm -hmm. what do you think about these spaces as a result? What do you think about Mexico as a space and as a culture that Mm -hmm. gave, that made it appropriate for you to uh, put a Japanese man in a sombrero and have him give like the the catchphrase hail to all of his fellow villains gracias dead mans Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. yeah 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 why why I'm I'm not Mm. even saying this as a hater I'm saying this as somebody who enjoys the franchise and wants to continue did you think Mm -hmm. about this (laughs) <laughs> and there are moments like that all the time and i say i say mm. these things like from a place of love if mm. you there's an easy way to avoid this kind of critique and that's by either not doing it or thinking very deeply about it somebody needs to send a producer in toy company a copy of writing the other by nisi shawl mm. well first you have to find the token producer who speaks english so start with that <laughs> <laughs> But mm-hmm. the other thing is, like, hmm, cultural appropriation is just not viewed as a problem in Japan because it's very much like a diaspora problem, and most of the people it hurts are diaspora anyway. And especially in, like, home countries where there is a particular dominant and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. There's generally an attitude of, eh, whatever. Both to cultural appropriation against them, because mm-hmm. they haven't experienced those tropes being used to bully and other them in various white-dominant spaces, mm-hmm. so they don't give a shit. And because they don't give a shit, they think it's fair game to do to everyone else. Like, this is even something that comes up in idol fandom sometimes. I mean... This is old enough to now be a deep cut, but does anyone remember Happy Summer Wedding by Morning Musume? The one where none of the music is even Bollywood inspired, but they're wearing like Cholilenga in that <laughs> music video mm. for no good reason. What? Okay. okay, I think we need to pause while Brandon watches the music video for Happy Summer Wedding. Nah, I'm not gonna watch the whole... I just need to look at... I just... Mm, uh, okay. Um... And, like, this is fairly old. It was before there was even a lot of discourse about cultural appropriation in America. But yeah, it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, this is a weird creative choice. Yeah. I think cultural appropriation is always one of those, like, very... Uh, interesting topics to approach um, specifically in the angle of like how a uh, a country feels about uh, appropriation happening overseas right like you're mm-hmm. you, you hit the nail on the head when you say that's a di- uh, like a diaspora problem like it completely has no effect whatsoever on people in Japan they like literally don't give a shit if like Scarlett Johansson is wearing a kimono or mm. whatever right but yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, it, you can point to it and and be like, "Well, this is not very cool. That's not a very cool uh, portrayal." 
But like, also like, uh, God, it it feels so. It feels like such an uphill battle to try to explain to Japan why why something might not like come across well <laughs> to other mm-hmm. people. I feel. I guess part of the reason why it strikes me as so peculiar as an international fan, first and foremost, is there are similar things about the way that Japan is portrayed internationally that are hostile and problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, like the automatic assumption that some people make that Japan as a place is weird and creepy and sexual as a rule. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, That if somebody were to propagate those things in media, regardless of the fact that individual uh, Japanese locals may never see it or may never think that it will affect them personally, could still look at that thing and go, but it didn't need to happen, so I did it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a problem. Like, this is, uh, namely, like, a problem of, like, aesthetics, right? It's, like, Mm -hmm. it's always going to be a problem when you kind of reduce um, the sort of vibrant and real cultures and peoples to what is essentially set dressing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In in a way that both, like, flattens... um, that for uh like the viewer right um or for the um person the people who are being represented or misrepresented um but also like uh, in just in terms of like what depth you are losing to uh explain to you like your audience right like if you only ever see images like this like what do you, like you're right like what do you think of mexico as a place other than it is the place where the exploding cactus comes from <laughs> Lucha Libre, Day of the Dead. Yeah, That's like, all I need culture- to know. Culturally in Japan, the image of Mexico is literally like Lucha Libre. Sombreros, right? Lucha Libre, Margaritas. Well, I bet mm. I bet Lucha Libre is like is like really the big one because Japan has such a prominent wrestling scene. Mm-hmm. Mm. So one of my friends is a wrestler, mm-hmm. and in the little league he wrestles in, there are definitely multiple people whose costumes are lucha libre inspired his own mask is very lucha libre right right i mean it's it's funny because like um we could even like draw this back further and like the idea of a masked hero is very lucha libre mm-hmm. right yeah. Um, in in a in a sense, it's almost like um they share like this like kind of strange lineage in a way that um kind of is on display when you watch uh the uh episode Death Match in the Ring Defeat <laughs> Pyrrhosaurus. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right, because like the uh the wrestler in question who is like the sort of um main villain uh who gets transformed into a cyborg is is like a lucha libre. Uh, wrestler or at the very least is dressed like one right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's kind of a a lot of sort of feelings tied up um in that uh, i don't know what necessarily um japan's kind of relationship to the masked hero is but in um american like comic spaces at the very least the idea is that the mask protects your identity right mm-hmm. it's like a symbol mm-hmm. of honor but also a way for you to like protect those who are close to you um 
And it's it's interesting because I feel like Common Rider is kind of not like that. Um because every, they know who who Takashi Everyone is. Everyone knows who the goddamn right? Common Rider is. <laughs> they, they, everyone knows who Common Rider is. They're just like, look, it's Common Rider. Um and <laughs> actually this this just reminded me that like in in the course of watching the show, there is an episode where Takashi like pretends he's not the Common Rider uh, to like to Ruriko. And it's just like and then they just drop it for like two episodes <laughs> later. It's gone. Yeah. All you need to do is be convincing, and people stop asking. And he's a very convincing man, I gotta say. Also, you mentioned <laughs> he the thing. A common and... rider discount. Like, can mm. he get twenty percent off his Starbucks order? <laughs> I would hope so. He's the hero of mankind. Yeah. <laughs> So, Soup, you said a thing and suddenly it dawned on me to check to verify. Tiger Mask predates Kamen Rider. Oh. And I don't think anyone's ever, like, had a conversation about whether Tiger Mask as a manga drew any of its inspiration very obviously from Lucha Libre. But, Mm -hmm. like... I mean... The... X mask slash animal mask trend of um, Japanese wrestling personas is very obviously uh, lucha libre in that the thing that is cherished about this performer's persona is that it can be secret, and therefore the only real defeat that you can strike against them is to rob them of their anonymity. Mm. Which is, right. again, very okay. Kamen Rider. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, if you if you live in if you live in a media space where that kind of image can persist, you'd imagine that thinking more deeply about its relationship to um other cultural objects would have been a given in my mm. head. Unless Tiger Mask really did form full did did exist fully formed in Ikikajiwara's mind. Which is I, possible. I I get the I get the distinct impression that Tiger Mask is is like drawing from lucha libre specifically just because i know that um the tekken character based on tiger mask is explicitly a lucha libre wrestler uh-huh mm. the character king right who, um mm-hmm. i don't i don't I think he wears a jaguar mask i think that's the idea um mm-hmm. but on on the sort of like blocky uh polygons of the of the early playstations it does look like his head is just a jaguar like this is a man that ended up half jaguar right right (laughs) also you said that aloud that i needed to follow the entire trend all the way back to um an actual wrestler named tiger king or tiger mask uh who wrestled Mm in um real japan Real um, Japan, yep. <laughs> in like what the yeah the mid seventies, around the same time that the uh, the Tiger Mask manga would have come out. So like, it's it, people know people knew like it's obviously lucha libre. Uh, like also, Sayama Tiger trained just in Mexico. A weirdly popular theme for wrestlers here. Like interesting in the league that I go watch. I mean, we have Super Tiger who who performs in a white tiger mask and enters to Eye of the Tiger, but we also have Pink Tiger the referee. 
And he does well, all his referee shit in that pink tiger mask. Wow. Yeah. I want to see all. I want to well, see every match that pink tiger referees from now on. You need to. You need, I okay, need to find out more about this. This so circuit. I I did. Sorry, I, I was. I did have to look this up. Um, because I think that the tiger motif isn't just confined to wrestling. Um, it's it's just kind. Of, it it feels like it's kind of everywhere, which is interesting. Because Japan does not have native tigers. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they might have in prehistoric times. Um, but the most prominent place that tigers would have been appearing uh, for Japan is the Korean Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, up in Russia. And I think, I think that there is certainly an element of, like, that like kind of colonialist, like, ah, it's an exotic, cool thing. Um, but I also... I also think it's interesting that there is um like I don't I don't know where the roots of like sort of um Japanese mythology come from um but the idea in East Asian like cultures that like the tiger is like the natural uh rival to the dragon let's be real that's like the raw shit ever right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is true but Yeah I I will say looking at all of this though um it is intriguing to me that um masked characters um tend to be uh, at least in uh from the stuff that we're looking at like uh common writer um the uh the Ishinomori manga that common writer is sort of based off of um and uh and tiger mask is um these are all kind of anti-hero characters they're not like exactly hero characters mm-hmm. uh but i think they sort of tone that down in the common writer proper because uh, Takeshi Hongo is like pretty harmless as a person yeah yeah <laughs> like I, I think he there's some episodes where they're where they're like grappling uh, where they're like maybe attempting to explore something where they're like uh, am I still a human am I still a human being underneath it all what if I hurt the people I love and like he just completely moves on a couple episodes later because there's just not a single thought going through his brain. That's a man that loves his bicycle. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Also, like that is one thing that I think we've like sort of neglected to mention is how prominent the motorcycle motif is for the common rider. Like, I I don't know why I didn't realize this before. Um, watching that's where the rider bit comes com- from. Yeah, yeah, right. That's that's where the rider bit comes from. I was like, oh, he's got a motorcycle. Yeah. Oh, it's like in the show a lot. Oh, we don't call him Common Walker. <laughs> <laughs> they do not call him Common Two Legs. <laughs> Which is a very interesting thing to mention as well, because I do think that whether it was purposeful or not, um, there is a lot of inherent glamour in the motorcycle because it means Mm -hmm, that we get to see uh, Takeshi travel to spaces and it means that Mm -hmm. we get to actually witness the space that he's in Mm -hmm. Um, which only matters to me first and foremost because a lot of uh, late Heisei series had Kamen Riders and and motorcycles and then they never actually go anywhere they just arrive in places Mm. There, mm-hmm. are, there are literal Heisei series where a protagonist will start a fight with an enemy in one place, and they will just flip 
and suddenly they're in another place at another point in the day. And I'm like, how you know what? did you did battle your way all across <laughs> town? Y'all, re- y'all really backflipped for miles. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you it's know, very much just on a practical level, you can't show the common rider getting on a train. <laughs> oh, that would be so good, though. <laughs> a common oh, rider yes, stopping a really taxi in Shinjuku. Common rider just getting on the Marunouchi line. He in pulls out his train costume. pass. Yeah, yeah, and sitting in a chair. <laughs> he like swipes no, the seats. No, actually, I think there is like an opportunity for a really good commercial in which we show Kamen Rider giving up his seat for a pregnant lady. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, do what a hero would do. (laughs) I love that you mentioned that because there is a Kamen Rider series with a train. He's the only passenger. Uh, Wow. There's no other people, though. Could you imagine how great it would be to watch him surrounded by normies on the train? Yeah. (laughs) Listen, Kamen Rider has to go to and from work, too. Right, mm-hmm. just like you. And he can't have a car because, like, oh my god, you can't have a car unless you're maybe Sassord. Sassord can afford a car. Sassord can afford the exorbitant parking fees for the car. Mm. Yeah, but just Listen, like Ta- Tachibana drives the a car everywhere. Is just cost effective. I mean, that's true. You know. It is actually it is interesting to me because like the motorcycle is such a like if we take the motorcycle to be like the sort of symbol of common rider in many ways um aside from the sort of grasshopper motif it like the motorcycle in this era at least is such a distinctly like adapted thing in Japan right mm-hmm. like Japanese like Japanese motorcycle culture is like very real like Japan I think produces like most of motorcycles nowadays. Um but like yeah, following uh following the 1920s Harley Davidson was the largest manufacturer of motorcycles. Mm-hmm. I feel like I in, feel like in... everything I look at is a Suzuki or a Yamaha. Some right. people have imported Harleys, but they are few and far between. It just feels like in in the 20th century, um at least at the sort of like sort of a beginning half of it it's like motorcycles to me hold a very like american cultural relevance mm-hmm. yeah um <laughs> and i feel well i feel like part of the reason why there are motorcycles in kamen rider is an extension of that fact that the motorcycle as an object is viewed like very strongly culturally as a kind of visual motif for freedom more so than any other vehicle mhm mm. because I... you're still because you're still getting to a place but you're surrounded by the world um or some yeah. bullshit like that you are not you are not separated from the world by walls there is nothing to protect you if you fall. I got reminded of the the scene where that couple gets married and they go on the motorcycle. <laughs> oh, <right>. oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Dirt spraying all over the bride. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, also, bringing I mean, this up reminds she won't need the dress twice. That's true. <laughs> Also remind. I mean, technically, she didn't need it once, right? Like mm-hmm. they didn't have to have a ceremony. <laughs> well, 
Well, the thing is, we never know if they even did the paperwork. This could oh, be a very true. efficient way to make someone feel that you have committed to them without actually doing any of the messy commitment. Mm-hmm. I think my I think my brain has just been poisoned by all of the uh, the marriage certificate like registration form jokes that are made in anime. Mm-hmm. Also, I just wanted to idly bring up because you you reminded me uh, of that question of why motorcycles, and I needed to like look at every single motorcycle, every single vehicle rather that has ever been mm-hmm. used in Kamen Rider. Um, and there have been some cars, like Kamen Rider Drive is almost solely just cars. Um, uh, and then I realized that Revice doesn't have a motorcycle. Mm. It has oh. a hover bike. More points against them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they, 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 they just painted over uh, a literal prototype hover bike that you cannot actually purchase yet. And made that the vehicle mm-hmm. for the show. Um, which is either them being very forward-thinking or them accidentally kind of forfeiting that kind of, the, the very image that is attached to a, a motorcycle. Uh, I'm not sure which yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have some feelings about it as an object. That does kind of remind me of... Um, I find that Japan is a very curious sort of uh, culture of taken things. Because, like... When I sort of look at what exists in like presently in in like uh in Japan, it's like a lot of stuff from the west in like the 19th and 20th centuries that the west doesn't do anymore. Like the idea of like a maid cafe and coffee jelly and being served coffee jelly in a maid cafe is like Victorian London but aesthetified. Hmm. I had I never thought of it that way. Well, because I, I, I've been having this thought for a couple of years on and off, specifically about coffee jelly, because I'm like, what? <laughs> where does this come from? And it does come from, from the UK. It comes from England. But they don't do it anymore. It's just not a thing that they make. They should. It's delicious. But, you know. Um... For some reason, I always thought it was Italian. I mean, maybe. Uh, I think I think it's specifically English. I think it comes from English cookbooks. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I don't know. There's just some something about the. I mean, that and like obviously you can tie that into the way that like um, Japanese like loan words work. The way Japan kind of adapts English for its own language and puts words together in a way that no English speaking person ever would. Like. That is, that's, honestly, that's one of my favorite things is, like, just the absolute nonsense words that would make complete sense to a Japanese person that an English-speaking person is like, I know what those words mean. I, I don't understand what, what putting them in this order does for me. Okay, now I want an example. Um. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, uh, God. Put on the spot. If- the first thing that comes to mind is actually a really weird example, um, because uh, the first thing that I always think of is Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I'm pretty sure that that is based off of the title of a song by a British band. Maybe, oh yes, 
by the br- <laughs> by the band Queen. <laughs> yep. Little little known okay. band Queen. Um, and I believe that their their title for the song is Teo Toriate. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know why that's the first thing I always think of, but just, like, stuff like that. I, I kind of like listening to, like, Japanese English. Not, like, English spoken by a Japanese person, but, like, loan words that have been taken and transformed to have new, different, adjacent meanings. Mm-hmm. I mean the interesting thing about really going with it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the the interesting thing about language is that when viewed through the lens of someone else's interaction with it, it becomes it has the potential to become either poetic or bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. But the assumptions about why that is are mostly existing in the head of the interpreter and not in the voice of the speaker. Oh, okay. I found I found the term for it. It's it's wase ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love hotel. Uh I suppose that would be an example, huh? Um I mean a love hotel is exactly what you yeah. self-explanatory. A love hotel I mean, is exactly yes. what it says on the tip. Well, There's well, like, one that, around that's... the corner from my apartment that sells time in fifteen minute increments now. Fifteen minutes? Oh my god. How fast do they think you're going? <laughs> Good lord, the assumptions that they're making about the human body in that, in, in that <laughs> oh my god, that's big cursed, Jesus. Um, lord. Okay, well, um, on that note, I think, I think we can sort of draw this discussion to a close, at least for the moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Worst that we will be end. back. <laughs> at some point to talk about more of this because this was very fun mm-hmm. um and getting to watch this which like we shouldn't understate like how relevant common writer is to japan like how much it is a, a, a present part of the culture to this very day mm-hmm. um there's a restaurant it's in walking distance of my apartment I'm so jealous. Right. Oh my god. Um I one of the things that I do want to add just as an aside um which comes in two parts, the first of which is no matter how weird and bizarre and uh, often unfathomable our conversation about the episodes of Kamen Rider we have seen <laughs> maybe to you the listener. Uh I do want to stress to you that um Kamen Rider as a franchise is very expansive. Uh, I really do believe, like many other fans, that it is possible to find something in the wider franchise that you will gravitate very heavily toward uh, that will still give you the opportunity to think very deeply about the franchise's general space in the culture. And I welcome you to attempt to find those places um, because Kamen Rider is actually very neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second part of which is, um, I think Kamen Rider has a lot to say as a franchise about, um, the ways in which we relate ourselves to heroism. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Kamen Rider is very much a franchise where anyone, any kind, any, um, occupation any living situation, you can still have the potential to be a hero. They still need to figure that out about women. But 
<laughs> that notwithstanding, mm-hmm. it is <clears throat> at least open to presenting the idea, especially to young people, that um, your capacity for heroism is not uh, restrained. And I think that that's one of the things that I value about it. Like, the, like one of the overall through lines of the franchise as a whole is that not only no matter who you are, but no matter what the source of your power is, because a lot of power in the Kamen Rider franchise is literally defined as evil from the beginning. What mm-hmm. defines heroism is that you take that power and you use it for the good of other people. Um, no matter how mm-hmm. small that power is, and no matter what shape that power takes. Um, and that's kind of why I dig the, the franchise, and I think that you would dig it too, if you want to explore more about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's fun to roll the dice and, you know, take 2d4 psychic damage every time I sit down for 20 minutes and watch an episode. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> just stumble into the next... I enjoyed this 48-episode uh, series about a high schooler uh, who wants to befriend everyone that he knows and then discovers that friendship is literally uh, stronger than the universe itself. What's going to happen next? Oh. Um, demons? Yikes. Just, Just Mexican demons. Okay, cool, cool fun yeah yeah i mean i would i would love to uh love to do another episode uh where we sort of uh dissect the meat we we talked a lot about sort of the stuff that happens um but we've already been going for uh a long time and Mm-hmm. Uh, we we can't sit here forever. I can't release a six hour long podcast episode. <laughs> unfortunately, I mean you can. It's your podcast. You just won't. I don't want to. <laughs> you have the power. Uh, I don't think I should have long, that. Power. It would be longer than the block of episodes we watched. <laughs> that is that is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, no, no, I, I, uh, I, I 100% agree with, uh, with your, with your points. Um, I love the sort of shonen, um, space, uh, just kind of as a genre, because it is a, honestly, kind of like, in many ways, if you sort of back up from it, it's a little embarrassing, like a, a little cringe, you might say. (laughs) Um, but it is such an unabashed, like, a uh, hopeful view of uh, how to pursue heroism and how to help people that, mm. you know, I kind of can't help but be drawn into it. I'm just like, you know what? Yeah. You know what, Takashi? Yeah, you kick that You kick that bad guy until he explodes. Yeah, there's like an optimistic, kick empowering... Kick that both feet. Right, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you level up and everything. Like, there's a, there's a huge empowering factor well, to it. It's it's like that thing where like American media and like Western media in general right now is like so so ridiculously jaded uh, that we're only kind of just wrapping around to being able to make sincere media all the time. Whereas mm. in whereas in Japan it's just like cringe doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're still doing they're still doing exactly what the fuck they want to be doing. Sort of caveat asterisk asterisk asterisk. As long um, <laughs> as the advertisers will let us get away with it, right? Exactly. You can you can have a man die on television, but you cannot have the gays. Good lord. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, sincerity in media, I think, is like kind of the the topic of the day. Um, 
And uh, my God, if there isn't some as confusing as it might be in Common Rider, uh, at least the original series, at least the 17 episodes that we watched. Mm-hmm. Speaking it's of got heart, it doesn't it does, always have brains, sure. oh, but yeah, it has yeah, heart. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, just like just like Takashi Hongo, you don't gotta have the brains, even though you're a, a genius physics student. Um, but you gotta have the heart. It's true. Inside of inside of this body, the heart of a man still beats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Inside his cyborg body, <laughs> I am whole. Yeah, like I I would love to dissect like what what it means to be a cyborg in this space, but <laughs> listen, he already it, tried for like two episodes, <laughs> right? Talks, we can't do it. A different How two-hour recording block for that, and yeah, have exactly. to go stream. So not today. Not today. <laughs> Um, but if you are interested in watching uh, yeah. Common Writer, mm-hmm. you can do so if you live in the United States slash North American region. Uh, you can watch it on Tokushoutsu over at Shout Factory, which yeah. uh, is where we watched it. Um, jumping through some hoops, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't like to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, why don't we? Uh, mm-hmm. Why don't we wrap up then? Um, I will I will point the microphone at you, uh, Brandon. Why don't you uh, tell us who you are and where can we find your things? What do you do? Um, God, what don't I do? Um, <laughs> hi everyone. Got a mood again. Uh, I am Brandon O'Brien, uh, a poet, writer, game designer, GM, streamer, podcaster, perpetually tired person uh, yeah, from yeah, Trinidad yeah. and Tobago. <laughs> Uh, I had a book that came out this year, y'all. Uh, <gasps> it's called Can You Sign My Tentacle? It's a very Tentacle? good book. I think it's very neat. Um, if, you're into, if, you, in, if you are into reading poetry about the uh, old gods of the Cthulhu mythos asking J. Cole and Kanye for their autographs, um, I definitely recommend the book. Um, very cool. <laughs> I, nice, nice, nice. I do a podcast called Righteous Kicks uh, with my friend Iori Kusano, um, where we talk about Kamen Rider, um, which is briefly on hiatus, but expect more episodes very, very soon. Um, I also do other podcast stuff for skiffyandfanty.com and for speculatesf.com, um, where I uh, GM very cool games. Uh Including uh, a Blades in the Dark uh, series called The Case of the Cinded Seal, which also features Iori Kusano as one of its players. Uh, ah. And you can find out more about me on Twitter at The Rising Tides. I used to have a website, and then I screwed up, so I don't have a website anymore. So twitter.com slash The Rising Tides. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> All right, Iori, tell us who you are. Where can we find you on the internet? Yes, Yori Kusano, they, them pronouns, Clarion West class of 2017. You can find all the extremely varied shit I'm doing at kusanoyori.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Yori Kusano. That is spelled I-O-R-I. There are no L's in my name. And I'm sick of Lori Kusano getting credit for my work. Oh! <laughs> One of these Gotta days, track down down Lori. Find Gotta track Lori. her down. Fight, Lori! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Alright. Very cool. Renu? 
I am Renu, also known as Swan. You can find me on Instagram at swan.drawn. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter and Tumblr and all those social medias at swan.drawn. I have been streaming art and stuff. Um, been uh, working through the original Resident Evil 1 remake um, in, uh-huh. in, in the gaming space, uh, gaming part of my stream. Um, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Uh, what about you, Soupy? You know who I am. You can find me all the places at Literal Soup. I do this podcast and I stream videos, James, but only wow. James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that's it. Noted. You can find my website at literalsoup.com. I mean, Whoa. I. I don't really have to. I mean, I, I've had that website for a long time. I don't really have to advertise who I am. You, if you're listening to the podcast, you know who I am. You know who Renu is. Do we? <laughs> I mean, do I know who I am? That's another question. That's we another have question to say it entirely. every episode. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Discover ourselves every new episode. <laughs> yep. I mean, Getting it, existential what, in here today. <laughs> right. What What is a podcast if not a journey of self discovery? There we go. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you so our much. Opening is by Scotty Network, and our ending is by Takamakata. And the patrons we are thanking this month episode episode. That's the word. Evan uh, mm. Williams, Magpie Meritest, Claire, Frostfall, uh, Shandow, Cherubel, Undead Uncanny, and Dylan Boats. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are cool people. Wow. <laughs> You heard it here first. That's a a good compliment. (laughs) All right. We will see you next time. ね。